get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, when when everyone's expecting Connor McDavid to win yet another fastest skating contest and you beat him, that's going to put you on the map. And then, like you said, in, in, in the big games, in the big league showcases, he's played really, really well. And had the Central Division won that final game, he might have been the MVP. Mm-hmm. He might have been an all-star MVP in that situation. So I think it's been a great coming out party for him this year. That is the voice of Chris Kerber. This is BK and Ferrario minus BK, but we got T-Bone in studio. Alex Ferrario in studio. I'm not broadcasting from my basement underneath the staircase because the snowmageddon is finally over. You didn't take a snow day? I didn't take a snow day. I mean, I I still see snow. I couldn't use the excuse anymore. I knew Ryder would call my bluff, so I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll venture out into the white unknown, which is the snow apocalypse here in St. Louis. But I'm happy to be back in studio. And to start things off, we start off today talking about the stoop, the superstar that is Jordan Cairo. Oh, I love that guy. Better than Vladimir Tarasenko, yeah. according to uh, someone that we know and love via Tanner Hendrickson. No, that was the voice of Chris Kerber talking about Jordan Cairo's weekend in Vegas where he put himself on the map as a superstar in the National Hockey League, in my opinion. And he did so by winning the fastest skater competition, a massive underdog, a massive upset, not just because Connor McDavid was participating in that fastest skater competition, who, if I'm not mistaken, has won it the last few seasons. But you also had other big-time names in it. Kale McCarr, one of the fastest skating defensemen in the National Hockey League. He doesn't win it. Nor does an Adrian Kempe from the LA Kings, who is also a very fast skater. No, it was Jordan Cairo with a 13.55 time, which was best in the fastest skater competition. On top of that, he was, as Chris Kerber mentioned, nearly the MVP of the All-Star Game which if you don't know, it's three-on-three competition. Each division plays against each other, and then the two divisions that win their rounds go into the finals. Central lost, what was it, 8-5? to five. But Jordan Cairo comes away with four total points in the All-Star game. I mean, it's too, it's too difficult not to see that he is a rising star in the National Hockey League, and for what he just did on a stage like this in Vegas, T-Bone, you have now ventured past Jordan Cairo being a rising star to a star in the National Hockey League. 
Yeah, he was on the biggest stage and he came out and performed. And I get it. It's the all-star game and people will say, well, anybody can get four points in an all-star game. But when he goes out there in the skills competition and wins the fastest skater, when honestly, I know he was in the competition, but I didn't give him a shot because I thought it was Connor McDavid's to lose. Yeah. He goes out there and wins. He goes out and he has a really good game in the all-star game and, and showcases his abilities. He showcased the shot in his first goal and I believe so in this in his second goal as well. Four points, only the fourth blue and blues franchise history record four points in an all-star game in any format, which is impressive in its own. So, yeah, he has reached the level of being a star in the NHL because he was on the biggest stage showcasing his abilities. And I think people around here in St. Louis and people in the Central Division kind of had an idea of, okay, the Blues have that kind of, as you mentioned, that up-and-coming star. But now that he did on the biggest stage where all the eyeballs were on him in Las Vegas, I think it's time to be talking about the Blues they have their superstar. That's the guy that's going to be the changing of the torch when it comes to whatever Ryan O'Reilly's done as a St. Louis Blue. David Perron as well. And I think it's huge to to know that. Like, it's not just what he's doing in the regular season, where if you look at it after, what is it, 40-something games played, 44 games played, middle of the season, uh, he leads the team with 42 points. He's played the same amount of games as Vladimir Tarasenko. He's played three less games than Ivan Barbashev, and he still has the most points on the team. On top of that, you go to the winter classic where he set a or tied a winter classic record with four total points in that game and then now you get the all-star festivities where if that if the central division would have won probably the mvp but wins the fastest skater competition and this is this is from greg wasinski on espm Connor mcdavid who is stuck on three wins in the fastest skater event which is tied with hockey hall of famer mike gardner for the most in nhl history so you beat a guy who is tied with an NHL Hall of Famer in the fastest skater competition. And that's why the second half is going to be so interesting with Jordan Cairo. Because to remain on this superstar trend in the National Hockey League, you have to continue this pace. Because if you go on a cold streak or if you go into a quiet run, the team will be fine. But Jordan Cairo's status, I think, is the more interesting aspect in the second half. And for me... For the Blues to remain this pace in the Central Division and find a way into the Stanley Cup Final, they're going to need Jordan Cairo to remain a superstar. Yeah, they need Jordan Cairo to be that guy. I think we've talked about it in the past. You know, when a guy goes through a, a dry spell, how does he get, get off of that? How can he get back to his game? And we've always connected the dots, at least this season. In years past, it's been Vladimir Tarasenko. Put that guy on a line with Jordan Cairo. He'll be the guy that can get him going, along with Robert Thomas. And with the pairing of Robert Thomas with him, I don't expect him to slow down because Robert Thomas is the playmaker, can just be the distributor to Robert or to Jordan Cairo. Cairo has the shot. We saw that in the All Star game. He has the speed. He has the skill. I, I expect him to continue the pace that he's at. I think he's above a point-per-game scorer right now, or he's right at that. Yeah, he's two points above point-per-game, 42 points in 40 games. Uh, it's probably unrealistic to say he's going to be a point-per-game guy, so maybe maybe that we should lower the expectation on that, but he definitely has a shot and has a legitimate shot to do so, and I think he'll be running for that till the end of the season. So this is the interesting part of this, too, and you know maybe I am putting the cart before the horse and I'm getting excited with this one, but I, it's too hard to deny what Jordan Cairo truly is going to be. 23 years old on a point-per-game pace for the St. Louis Blues, and he's got one more year of control before he's a restricted free agent And by that time. So he's basically $2.8 next year, and then he's an RFA still, the same as Robert Thomas. 
We talked a lot the last couple of weeks of the priorities for Doug Armstrong, and we put Craig Berube's name at the top of that list. I know Jamie Rivers has mentioned on the fast lane. Ville Husso should be at the top of the list in terms of contract extensions. I think after this weekend, all of that is out the window. I think the number one priority, I'll say number two, because Craig Berube, in my opinion, is still the number one priority, but I think that's going to get done. The number one player priority for Doug Armstrong is find a way to lock up Jordan Cairo. Because if you look around the National Hockey League and you see guys like Brady Kachuk and Matthew Kachuk and what some of these players are doing with their contract status of trying to get to that first year of unrestricted free agency and trying to get the most money and you look around the league and you got guys making nine, 10, 11 million dollars. If you have a superstar like Jordan Cairo or a superstar in the making, if you don't want to jump ahead too far, you might want to try and lock this up before it gets a little out of hand. Because Jordan Cairo knows what he's worth. He knows what he's doing in the National Hockey League this season. I don't know if his interest is signing right now. Or maybe he wants to play this out like the Jack Flaherty side in baseball. Where he says, I'm going to get every penny I'm worth. But if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm going to be approaching Jordan Cairo this offseason. Trying to find out if I can do a deal like a Vladimir Tarasenko and buy out a couple of those restricted free agencies. But more importantly, lock him up for the long term because he's a cornerstone if you want to continue that Stanley Cup window. Yeah, Cairo's definitely a guy to keep an eye on as a potential contract extension candidate once we hit the offseason. Because as you mentioned, he's that cornerstone piece. And I see some text saying, guys, relax. It was the All-Star game. It's a scrimmage. No, no. It was a scrimmage, and you can't read too much into what he did at the All-Star Weekend, but what it was was it was him showcasing his abilities. I mean, he's a, as we just mentioned, he's above point-per-game guy, and he went to the All-Star game, and he kind of showed that. He, he showed his abilities. He showed his speed. He showed the shot. So we we knew this heading into the All-Star Weekend, and then it just got amplified for the vast majority of the NHL audience. So I, I'm with you. He's an extension candidate heading into the offseason. It'll be interesting to see where Doug Armstrong puts that on his priorities because you've got David Prawn who's going to hit unrestricted free agency. Ville Husso will hit unrestricted free agency, as you mentioned him as a candidate as well. And then whatever other moves that Doug Armstrong feels are needed in the offseason. Jordan Cairo is a guy to keep an eye on, though, because as you mentioned, if you can get a not necessarily a team-friendly deal, but buy out some of those years of his unrestricted free agency status, that would be a big thing for the Blues, and I think the Tarasenko comp is the one to keep an eye on, because the Blues did that, and they've reaped the rewards of the Vladimir Tarasenko contract extension big time, so that's the one to to comp it to. Oh, 100%. I mean, if you look at Vladdy's contract, and you're sitting here and saying, oh, that was maybe too much, I I mean, I I don't, it would probably be very scarce to find people who saying that was too much of a deal for Vladimir Tarasenko at the time he was doing, and to the text that you mentioned, uh, T-Bone, on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, bit of a stretch there, fellas, that's like saying a player cements his star status when he wins a home run derby, has little to do with what he's actually done in the game, great player, but let's chill out see i just disagree with that i think what he did at the skills competition cemented what we have seen this season in terms of jordan Cairo. he now is the fastest skater in the national hockey league for beating Connor mcdavid and i understand it was a one-off and nine out of ten maybe Connor mcdavid wins those but that's what jordan Cairo is labeled as and it's not like you're saying a home run derby because it's not a one-off. He's got 42 points in 40 games this season. He had 35 points in 55 games in a shortened season last year for the Blues, and he's 23 years old. He's continuing to trend upward. You're getting this from a guy who was selected second round, 35th overall. That's something you can't pass up for, for the Blues and Doug Armstrong. And to me, 
This is what they did with Vladimir Tarasenko. You saw what Vladdy's potential was, and you said, we got to keep this guy locked up because this is who we are building around. Now, when you look at this roster and you look at the fact that Ryan O'Reilly's 31 and Tarasenko's 30 and Braden Shen's 30, but you also look at the Pavel Buchnevich's who's 26 years old and Robert Thomas, who's 22, this is your next core. This is your next group. So what Jordan Cairo just did at the All-Star Weekend, in my opinion, is more of a reason why the Blues should lock him up because you want to keep this guy continuing to trend in the right direction, but you want him to do that on your team rather than one year away from unrestricted free agency and testing the waters. Yeah, he's, he's going to be the leader of this young core that you brought up. I, I truly believe that. I, I don't think this is a... I'm not going to call it a one-off season, but I don't think we're talking about Jordan Cairo being a point-per-game guy this year and the next year. It's like, ah, well, he had 20 goals and he was, wasn't a point-per-game guy. He had like 60 points. I, I think I truly believe that this is going to be a normal for Jordan Cairo. I said it last year that I think he's going to be better than Vladimir Tarasenko. I still stand by that because I truly believe that. And it's going to be with a different skill set, though. It's going to be using the speed. It's going to have the shot. It's not going to be the Vladimir Tarasenko in his prime where he had that sniper and he was a playmaker as well. It's be a different skill set, but I truly believe Jordan Cairo is going to be better than Vladimir Tarasenko in his prime here in St. Louis. That's why he's an extension candidate, see if he can get it team-friendly. And as you mentioned, that young core, he's going to be probably the leader of that. And this is not going to be his first All-Star game. Jordan Cairo is going to be a guy that is going to be going to wherever the All-Star game is yeah. for the foreseeable future. And whether it is in the fastest skaters contest, whether it is in the shoot, the um, I don't remember, accuracy, accuracy, accuracy contract. Shooting, yeah, or the breakaway challenge. Breakaway I know he did challenge. that and scored a goal. I, I believe you're going to see Jordan Cairo be showcasing his skills at All-Star Games in the future for years to come. Well, we got a lot of texts, and so maybe we'll get into this a little bit later on in the show today. But, uh, you know, someone's saying, Alex, he's definitely a rising star. But what happened to you wanting to see a guy play uh, his uh, his career out like a Tyler O'Neill? It's an interesting br- uh, thing to bring up. And, and let's get into that a little bit later on with this one. So we'll continue the discussion of Jordan Cairo here on BK and Ferrario Blues, of course, not in action as the all-star break in the Olympic or the shortened Olympic break is winding down. Blues back in action on Thursday against the New Jersey Devils. They're expected to skate again tomorrow. So we'll keep you updated on the Blues throughout the day and throughout this week. And coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk with Matt Larkin of the Hockey News, get his take on Jordan Cairo's performance over the weekend and also the trade market because Matt Larkin is dialed in with that. So we'll get his thoughts on that headed into the second half of the season. But coming up next, I love this text, T-Bone. Enough of the hockey talk, boys. Let's talk lockout. Not. Unfortunately, 314, we are going to talk about that because guess what? It's no more in private. It's out in the public now that the players are frustrated with the owners. T-Bone and I will get into that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK here, but it is BK and Ferrario on a Monday. Hope everyone had a great weekend. It's 1120, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And you probably had a great weekend if you stayed away from baseball news. That wasn't called for. Well, it wasn't, but uh, we're about to make the uh, start of your week rough because things have gotten nasty between Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's Players Association. Uh, If you've missed it, 
on Friday, we talked about how Major League Baseball wanted the federal mediator to enter these negotiations. And by the end of our show on Friday, the Players Association rejected Major League Baseball's offer for the labor negotiations. And this is where it gets a little intense, T-Bone, because it's brought into the public. We've spent so much time over the last few months talking about how that the only way this is going to get better is if it stays out of the public eye, if it doesn't get nasty. Remember what last or two years ago was before they started the shortened season with the pandemic and we were like, oh God, this is all out in the public. Well, now it's gotten to that. So the Players Association released a statement on Friday, two months after implementing their lockout and just two days after committing to players that a counter proposal would be made, the owners refused to make a counter and instead requested mediation. After consultation with our executive board and taking into account our, a variety of factors, we have declined this request. The clearest path to a fair and timely agreement is to get back to the table. Players stand ready to negotiate. And then the players started to come out with this. Max Scherzer on Twitter. We want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allows younger players to realize more of their market value, make service time manipulation a thing of the past, and eliminate tanking as a winning strategy. It was a matter of time, T-Bone, before this got ugly and went into the public. But now we have officially gotten to this point. And if I'm not mistaken, they aren't meeting this week. The owners are meeting in Florida. And I would imagine maybe there will be some type of proposal by the end of this week or next week after the play or the owner's side meets in Florida. But how bad does this look for baseball right now? Uh, this is where baseball didn't want this to go. And it, we were at that. We were doing well. I mean, we saw the reports of, okay, here's what they're offering. Here's. Here's what MLB owners are offering. Then we looked at it and said, that's not really an offer. This is bad negotiating. That's fine. That's out in the public. But most of the bantering back and forth, and there was a good piece on ESPN.com today by, I believe it was Jesse Rogers, who talked with Andrew Miller, the former Cardinals reliever, who's a part of the MLBPA that's in this negotiations. And he basically said, look, there have been screaming matches that have been going on behind the scenes, but none of that had been public. And then Friday came, and you've got, we expected the MLBPA to reject that, reject the federal mediator. We we really did expect that. But then you get the, the, the release of the statement from the MLBPA is not really the thing that I look at and say, okay, that was the that was the turning point of, oh boy, it's getting public. It's when the players started, you know, they're just taking their shots at Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred's a terrible commissioner. The MLB owners are basically going to take, we're going to see the MLB have a, they've had kind of their PR stunt, which was the federal mediator themselves. So now it's starting to get a little bit ugly in the public. And that's not what we wanted to see because you brought it up in 2020. We saw that. And what happened? We saw, they we knew they didn't like each other. And it got to the point where it came down to, Manford okay. just said, we're playing. We're playing. We have to do a 60-game schedule. Rob Manford can't do that this year. Now, they could lift the lockout, but that's unlikely to happen. So, yeah, this is not a good. This was not a good sign for Major League Baseball over the weekend to see what happened with, you know, you got players coming out talking about it. I expect that owners will be doing the same thing. So, it's not a good sign for Major League Baseball. We really wanted to keep this behind closed doors, and now it's starting to leak out. I don't think it's going to get much worse from here. I do expect us to just see more reports of what the negotiations are, but this is not what Major League Baseball wanted or needed. Yeah, I feel like this is rock bottom with all of this, and maybe maybe I'm a fool with that. Maybe there is a worst-case scenario in this circumstance, and these guys don't even talk to each other, and there's no proposal. But for now, this feels like rock bottom, because the owners didn't counter proposal. They basically requested somebody to come in and deal with this, because they didn't know where to go. Players turned it down, and now players are vocally ticked off on social media about them not needing a negotiator. They just need the owners to come back with an actual proposal. 
So this feels like rock bottom. The hope is that it goes somewhere north, but I guess it could just maintain this level. I mean, after the owners have this meeting in Florida this week, what's their counter proposal? Do they come back and they actually try and make a significant difference or if they basically come back? Because my concern would be that they continue to come back and say, look, we'll give you this, but this is as far as we're going to go unless you agree to a negotiator. And then you're basically going into a game of chicken between the owners and the player side of, well, we're not budging. Well, we're not budging. Then where do you go? And this is where Rob Manfred, the commissioner, steps in. And if he's awful at his job, well, then you might be in a a game of chicken for a really long time. Well, that's the other problem now, too, is that both sides are basically already playing the game of chicken. I mean, we've seen in the offers, one specifically was, I can't remember exactly what, I think it was the bonuses for pre-arbitration players, where the MLBPA essentially said, all right, let's set the number at 105. I think the MLBs was like at like $10 million, mm-hmm. very small, a huge gap. And you would say, okay, What's going to be the counter proposal? MLBPA comes back with uh, $100 million. So yeah. they cut off $10 million. They, they haven't been budging enough to even get close to the middle. It's but Like you said, it's been this one big game of chicken. Who's going to cave in first? MLBPA did that a little bit when they basically decided, okay, we're not going to – we're going to give up on the hope of getting to free agency sooner. And MLB owners kind of caved in on some of their things as well as going with the draft lottery, some of the smaller things, none of the big economic issues. But, yeah, I mean, they're already locked in the game of chicken. I, I don't see how it's going to end. Someone's going to have to take this step forward, and that's what you said, where it comes down to Rob Manfred's going to have to kind of take that step towards getting this more towards the middle because hopefully we're at rock bottom now because if we're not, we're talking about the season being in serious jeopardy. Spring training, let's just be honest, it's probably going to be delayed. I would be stunned at this oh, yeah. point if spring training is not delayed considering pitchers and catchers are supposed to report in like five to ten days if this was on schedule. Now it's just going to come down to can they get this done and get this figured out before the regular season hits its start, which I believe is, if I'm not mistaken, May 31st. Does that sound right? March 31st. March 31st. Thank you. <laughs> May Wrong was, month. It May might be post-lockout start with all of this negotiation uh, crap going on. Hopefully not. I, I am generally curious about this. So, so text in Air Comfort Service text line 65780. If this does continue in this way and they miss, let's say, two weeks. 10 days, 14 days of the actual regular season. I know a lot of people are going to be done with baseball. They're going to be frustrated. But what's going to get you back in? Because I was thinking about this, and T-Bone, we talked in the office before the start of the show. When they start back up, there's going to be a lot of big names still available. Carlos Correa, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos. You have names that are still on the free agent market. Does a free agent frenzy where all of these guys are signing with teams... Does that bring people back into the game? Or if the lockout continues and you miss some of the regular season, are you just going to be putting them in timeout for a while because you're just so frustrated with baseball? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what brings people back into the game if the regular season is missed. Because I think we've seen the frustration from fans. We're seeing it right now of people saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm tired of baseball now. I think the pressure really starts to pick up, A, of course, when regular season games are missed, but I think it's going to start after this weekend because I, we've talked with Danny Mack before, and he said usually after the Super Bowl, that's when everybody kind of gets that baseball fear when pitchers and catchers report. We're gonna People are going to start to get that feeling after the Super Bowl ends and there's no baseball in sight. So what's going to get them back in? I think the free agent frenzy is going to be a little bit of a start of that. I think it's just going to come down to of – the moment I start to see baseball games actually being played and I start to see the product on the field, I think that'll be the time when people kind of start to buy in. I think when the teams and 
the owners reaching, or excuse me, the players and the owners reaching agreement. I think there's going to be a lot of hesitancy. There's still going to be a lot of anger heading into whatever that spring training is, three, four weeks. But I think once that the season kind of gets going, if it is delayed, that I think is when people will start to buy back into it. Once they see the product back on the field. From the 217, I want them to settle, but I like the idea of a shorter season anyway. Uh, 618, there are already too many games. Less is better. Uh, from the 314, free agent frenzy only helps bring Cardinals fans back, but for Major League Baseball, I'm just not too sure. It's interesting because I, I do think the excitement of the, the start of the season and when you see a name like Kyle Schwarber sign, it, it gets that team excited. But I think the common baseball fan is probably just going to continuously be ticked off with what's going on with all of these things. So it'll be something we'll keep an eye on, obviously, throughout the rest of this week and see what happens. And any word from the owners' conversations in Florida, uh, we will keep you updated with. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to take your questions and answers on the Air Comfort Service text line. So text them in 65780. But coming up next, Matt Larkin, senior writer at the Hockey News. We're going to get his thoughts on Jordan Cairo, the Blues, the Central Division, and what this trade deadline could look like. All that next. Here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. No BK today or tomorrow. He will be back on Wednesday. Blues will be back in action on Thursday when they take on the New Jersey Devils. They are off today as they're getting back from the All-Star break and what was the Olympic break. They expect to hit the ice tomorrow for practice and then practice on Wednesday and then that game against the Devils on Thursday. So talk a little blues and talk a little trade deadline because uh, we are a little over what a month away from uh, the trade deadline of the National Hockey League. We bring in one of my favorites, Matt Larkin, senior writer at the Hockey News. You can follow him on Twitter at THN Matt Larkin. He joins us on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Matt, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Alex, and I'm telling you, my cheeks turn red every time you say celebrity line. I don't deserve that title. <laughs> well, believe me, we all think you're a celebrity when we get the chance to talk with you here, and I know a lot of people are excited for the second half of the season, but before we get into that, what did you think of the All-Star festivities over the weekend in Vegas with Jordan Cairo stealing the show at the Fastest Skater competition and technically kind of stealing the show on the uh, actual All-Star uh, tournament? Yeah, I still think in terms of the overall event, it's a work in progress. There are some exciting ideas, you know, especially with the blackjack game. But sometimes the league can't get out of its own way. You have Trevor Zegers pulling off that amazing move, and then you have John Hamm giving it to his old St. Louis buddy, Alex Pietrangelo, instead. And you have a lot of people who are angry who place bets at sportsbooks. So it wasn't perfect. <laughs> But it was exciting, and it was very impressive to see Jordan Cairo showing off those wheels. We've been talking about those wheels for a long time, and I'm not surprised that he showed it off on the big stage because he's having a great year, but we've been waiting for a while for more people to get to know what type of talent he has. Yeah, nothing better than All-Star Weekend. And then uh, when Pete DeBoer, who was coaching the Pacific Division in his press conference after the Pacific Division's loss, uh, he basically said, I'll be honest, I was a little hungover. Goes to show you how Vegas truly is for these All-Star games and, and the festivities that take place. But, you know, speaking of Jordan Cairo, Matt, uh, we, we opened up the show talking about this. And to be able to beat Connor McDavid on the fastest skater competition, we all know what he did in the Winter Classic. He leads the Blues in points, 42 points in 40 games. Are we starting to see Jordan Cairo, in your opinion, emerge as a star or a superstar in the NHL? 
Absolutely. I, I wouldn't go superstar yet, but I would say star. And again, this, this meets the pedigree that we were aware of and tracking for several years leading up to not just this year, but last year as well. It's not like he was a first round pick, but he quickly achieved steel status, right? He was such a dominant junior. He was a scoring machine showing those wheels, showing, showing those hands that I think even a year removed from him being drafted, I think he was being talked up as someone who would have been a high pick if there was a do-over in the draft. So it was just a matter of time, a matter of him getting stronger and sort of just getting to, it's sort of a cliche you hear from scouts, but learning to be a pro, learning the lifestyle. And again, developmentally for a lot of people his age, it's been very rocky in this COVID era. There are a lot of delays, postponements for some kids that are on taxi squads. It's really hard to get momentum, to get to know your teammates in the same way that you normally would. There's just so many different variables that any player who's you know been in the league for two or three years or less has to endure in this era. And you never know. Maybe that affected Jordan Cairo. It slowed him down, but he's finally putting it all together. And I absolutely think it's legit. This is what he was supposed to do. We're talking with Matt Larkin, senior writer at the hockey news here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Matt, when you look at the second portion of the season, when it starts back up, of course, if you're a blues fan and a hockey fan, you're going to say, well, they need Jordan Cairo to continue this pace. But what's been so surprising about this season is he's not the only guy who's been headlining for the Blues when you look at the first 44 games. You bring up the names Pavel Buchnevich and Robert Thomas and Vladimir Tarasenko. All of these guys have put on a clinic in the first portion of the season. What do you make of this Blues team after 44 games played? Yeah, I think, first of all, you have to give credit to Doug Armstrong, pulled a great trade for Buchnevich and also for for bringing in Brandon Saad as well, who's scoring at a 30-goal pace. But what's really impressed me about this Blues team, if you look at the identity, and this goes all the way back to, say, the Ken Hitchcock era, right? These teams have been very defensively sound. They don't allow many shots. But this Blues team, in my opinion, is one of the more different ones we've seen in a long time because this team's fast. This team has a power play that's above 28%. This team is seventh in the NHL in goals per game. And I think it's a testament to the Blues' depth when you can have a third line, you know, throwing out guys like Brandon Saad and Braden Shen and David Perron. That's your third line on certain nights, right? And if you want to call it a third line, but really it's a you know multi-line rolling system, it just shows how deep this team is. And there are so many toys to play with for Craig Brube to mix and match. And that top nine in particular is really strong. But even if you go down to the top 12, if you're putting a guy like Clint Costin, who's been really physical, and again, he is has been one of the Blues' bigger prospects, in a fourth-line role, that's a lot of talent to have back there as well. So that's what fascinates me about this team. It's more of an offensive weapon. It's a faster team, whereas the identity of the Stanley Cup winning team, that was a big physical team that had skill as well, but I think the defensive identity was more prominent. This time, it's flipped on its head, and the only downside is I do think this team is not great defensively. If you look at the numbers, they are near the top of the league at 5-on-5 five five expected goals against per 60 minutes, so they have to find a way to get that balance they're scoring a lot, but they're not as good defensively as they have. To. And that's where I was going to go next with this, Matt, because that identity, if it is an offensive juggernaut, and I, I mean, I would put them up there with the Colorado Avalanche, the Minnesota Wild, and the Central Division for what they've done. Can a team like this win a Stanley Cup without that defensive identity? I don't think so. And I'm not saying the Blues need many pieces. I'm saying they need peace. They need one major piece, and I think that is a defenseman on the left side who can be a shutdown guy, who can, and again, when I say shutdown, there are more than one, there's more than one way to define shutdown in this era. It doesn't have to be an absolute bruiser, clone of Colton Prego with great size. It can be someone who drives the play, but it, it, however it's going to turn out, it has to be someone that impacts the defensive side of the puck. And if we're looking at names, you know, this is the drum that I've been banging for a month. 
Jacob Chikrin makes a lot of sense to me for the St. Louis Blues. He has the exact skill set that they're looking for. He can be a shutdown guy. He can kill penalties. You're getting him for multiple years. It's a great contract. And I think, theoretically, if Doug Armstrong is interested, he has a leg up in negotiations for trades over other GMs because he will be dealing with his old buddy, his former director of amateur scouting, Bill Armstrong in Arizona. So to me, that's a great fit in terms of just being able to have the relations to work out a trade. And Bill Armstrong, if he's looking for futures, well, he scouted most of these guys in the Blues system. He's super familiar with the organization. So I think it would be easier to find a fit in that sense. He'd probably know exactly what he wants. So I, that's that's the fit that I'm, I'm watching for. Obviously, the question comes down to, do the Blues have the pieces? Because their farm system is not the deepest right now. Uh, because, you know, when you're a good team, that's the price you pay. You make trades, you trade away picks, you don't pick high in the first round. So their, their farm crop is fairly depleted. So can you put the package together to pursue a big fish like Jacob Chickren? Man, I'm glad you brought up Jacob Chickren because he's a name that we've talked about a lot here in St. Louis coming up to this trade deadline. And you just mentioned, do they have the pieces to get a deal done? What do you think it is that Arizona is looking for in a trade for Jacob Chickren? Well, it's pretty clear to me that the Coyotes are going scorched earth because when you have someone who's 23, who's making less than $5 million a year under control for four more years, that's the type of piece that typically every building team wants to get, not trade away. So the message there to me is if they're putting them on the block, then they want to start absolute square one. So they're looking for more first round picks. They're looking for prospects that are not yet in the NHL that are, you know, teenagers or going to their entry-level deals. They want to start from absolute square one. And I think this is one of the more shameless uh, tanking jobs I've seen from a team ever. And that's not a knock on Bill Armstrong, what Arizona is doing. I respect the strategy, but it's just so blatant when you trade Christian Dvorak before the season starts, you punt basically your first line center for, for picks right before the season starts. You're saying, we don't care about winning. We want to lose. We want to take a shot at the first overall pick this year. So I think the best way to attract the Coyotes' interest is to dangle whatever you have. The problem is for the Blues, it does mean emptying out what they have left in that farm system. So it doesn't mean Jake Neighbors or Zachary Baldu. I think it probably does. Maybe both of them. On the defensive side with this, Matt, I mean, we've brought up Jacob Chikrin's name an awful lot, but there are other guys out there too. Like I know Ben Sherratt's name has been brought up in the past. I just don't know how he fits into this, but a couple of other names that have been brought up on our station. One is the Dane Chara, of course, not uh, trending very well with the New York Islanders. And the other one that I was curious about was Ryan Graves in New Jersey. Do, do either of those names pique your interest in terms of the blues acquiring them to turn them into a cup contender? I think Ryan Graves is the more intriguing name just because I think the Blues have this identity now is I think a team that can they can move now. They can motor, right? This is a I think the fastest Blues team I can remember in a long time. So if you're bringing in a Zidane Chara, I don't know if it necessarily solves your problem. Uh, just because to, to play shutdown defense in the modern game, you can't really be... And not to say that Zidane Chara hasn't been a phenomenal... You know, he's a Hall of Fame defenseman. But I'm just saying Zidane Chara at this age, I don't think fits the ideal of being fleet-footed enough to play elite defense anymore. So Ryan Graves is based on age, and he has experience playing with high-end partners, of course, going back to Colorado. So he's a versatile player. You can put him anywhere in, in terms of your, your three pairings. I think that's a decent consolation prize to target if you don't want to pursue the home run swing with someone like Chikrin. Matt, you've mentioned the depth of the Blues forward, and we've talked about a lot here in St. Louis that this is probably the deepest the Blues have ever been, and I agree with you that they do seem to be missing that defensive-minded defenseman. Do you think with how deep they are at forward, 
And the potential of, you mentioned Jacob Chickering, and it's going to cost picks and possibly emptying the farm system with like a Jake Neighbors. Do you think this is the year that the St. Louis Blues should go all in and push their chips all in on the table and try and go all in and build this defense as best they can for a Stanley Cup run? I, I believe so. And I do think, you know, if you look at the life cycle of teams in the salary cap era, they reach a point where, you know, they win a Stanley Cup or they're close, the Blues have, and you realize you're just in, you're in your window and you have to sort of empty the tank to try and stay on top for an extended period. And eventually you, you crash, but you can stay in contention mode for several seasons. We saw it. the Pittsburgh Penguins have been doing it for years. Chicago Blackhawks did it for a while. The bubble eventually burst. But the Blues right now, if you look at their veteran pieces, right, Ryan O'Reilly, he's got one year left on his deal after this one. He's in his 30s now. Tarasenko, we have no idea what's going to happen in the summer. It seems like he is going to stay a Blue this season because he's been too important to the team, but maybe a trade still happens in the summer. And you have David Perron, he's a UFA after this season as well. So that, that veteran core is start, is aging out of the prime, even Braden Shen, right? He's in his 30s now too. So I do think because of that, your, your top players now in the system, uh, I think a lot of them are, in, are on the wrong side of 30. And then, of course, you have the next wave coming, led by Kyrie and Robert Thomas. But I think overall, if you look at the team's identity, it's becoming an older team, a veteran team that's squarely in its contention window. And I think it's close enough that you could make a couple key upgrades that get you into the elite tier. Final one I wanted to ask Matt Larkin of the Hockey News, senior writer with us here on BK and Ferrario. Matt does a, a great podcast if you're into to fantasy hockey. It's the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. And about five days ago, Matt, you did one talking about Ville Husso being a big-time pickup in fantasy hockey. So, so maybe away from the fantasy hockey side of things, but just in terms of the rest of this season, do you feel like Ville Husso's the guy that the Blues should ride, or do you feel like Bennington deserves to get that shot in net one more time? Well, here, here's the fascinating catch-22. The very existence of Jordan Bennington as a successful NHL player reminds us of why you have to take a shot on Billy Husso because Jordan Bennington was a late-blooming prospect who bided his time in the ECHL, AHL, finally got his shot, and they rode the hot hand. They win the Stanley Cup. That's exactly the trajectory that Billy Husso's on right now. He's 27 years old. He's a late-blooming prospect who has got a fairly decent you know, B-level grade in the system, very similar to Bennington. So the very fact that Bennington, you have that success story, you lose history, means that you might have another Bennington in Billy Husso, which is competing against current Bennington. So to me, this is a super fascinating story in the NHL because the Blues have this bizarre recent history, as I'm sure you've talked about on the show, of the backup outplaying the starter, whether it's, you know, Yaroslav Halak and then Brian Elliott set a record at the time for, for save percentage, right? Then you have Jake Allen and Brian Elliott. You have, then you have Jordan Bennington usurping Jake Allen. It's this weird history that goes on and on in St. Louis. And I do think you have to embrace it. And right now, Billy Husso, uh, if you look at on a per-game basis, has been right there with Igor Shosturkin, rate stats-wise, smaller sample size. But in terms of his overall play, he's been as good as any goalie in the NHL. So you've got to ride that for now, I think, and give him the lion's share of the starts, or at least 50-50 split, which they already have. Come playoff time, I know it's going to be hard because you're looking at you know, in Jordan Bennington, the, the player you've trusted that's gotten you to stand the cup, he has the experience. So I do think it could still get interesting when you get to the playoffs. Do you give Bennington the net back? But right now, you've got to ride that hot hand because literally there's no goalie hotter in the NHL right now. He's, he is Matt Larkin, the senior writer at the Hockey News. I love talking hockey with him. A great follow on Twitter at THN Matt Larkin. Matt, thank you so much, buddy. I know you got a ton of work later on today. Appreciate you taking out some uh, times uh, time out of your schedule today. Easy for me to say, and I look forward to talking with you soon. 
Thanks, man. Nice talking to you. There you go. Matt Larkin, one of the best. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at THN Matt Larkin. So a lot to get into, and we'll touch on that once we get into questions and answers. But I did want to mention the one thing, T-Bone. Um, he says the home run swing is for Jacob Chikrin. We've heard multiple people mention names like Zidane Chara, Ben Sherratt. There's a lot of names out there and the speculation with all of this, but he's not wrong in the sense if you're going big time for a trade acquisition, Jacob Chikrin is that name. Yeah, I, I found it interesting that he's pointed back to him being the number one guy for the Blues to target because we've kind of shifted off of a Jacob Chikrin and kind of moved to the Ben Chirots, the Mark Giordano's, the, uh, you just brought him up, Zendano Chara. Yeah. So uh, the fact that he brings up Jacob Chikrin, and, and I agree with him that the Blues should go all in on this season. They have the, the depth of forward. The Western Conference is loaded, but I, I think that you maybe take that out of the equation and you just say, okay, let's build the best that we can. And to me, that's getting that big fish on the market. I, I've been leaning towards now Ben Sherrod is probably being that guy. I, I think maybe that's the guy the Blues go for. Because Chikrin and giving up the multiple assets that Arizona wants, I don't know if you necessarily need that. I, I think Ben Sherrod, to me, is probably becoming more of that guy that I lean on. I just want someone that's going to be – he's probably – if. He, and correct me if I'm wrong. He's probably the second best defenseman on the market behind a Jacob or behind a Jacob Chikrin. To me, I, I think that's probably the guy that the Blues could go all in on. And we've seen the reports that the Blues have had scouts at games in Montreal when they're playing. So yeah. I, I view Ben Trot as potentially that guy. But I do find it interesting that he brought up uh, Jacob Chikrin once again. Yeah, he's the big fish that'll be out there. And I know a lot of teams are obviously uh, looking in on Jacob Chikrin. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Also get into the goaltending controversy, controversy, conversation uh, that uh, Matt Larkin brought up there in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, send your texts and questions over to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Questions and answers is next here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to get into some NFL quick hitters as we've got Super Bowl on Sunday, Bengals and Rams, but you also have some other insane storylines going on around the National Football League. So we'll touch on those coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, but right now we get to some of your questions on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Let's do this one from the 618, kind of following up what Matt Larkin of the Hockey News just told us. Do you honestly think Doug Armstrong would get rid of the entire farm system just for Jacob Chikrin? So here's the deal. Chikrin, the left-handed defenseman, as Matt Larkin just said, he's the home run hit for the Blues to find that top defenseman on the left side to put this team as a favorite to win the Stanley Cup. 23 years old, you've got four more years of Jacob Chikrin at $4.6 million, or three years, and then, of course, the rest of this season. If you're Doug Armstrong, I don't know if you give up your entire farm system for this. Because... If you give up your entire farm system, you're essentially saying it's win now, next year, and then things start to really decline. But if you're able to give up draft picks and maybe a top prospect and still keep the other guys in the system, then I think that changes the conversation a little bit. Like if we're talking Jake Neighbors, Zachary Bullduke, Scott Perunovich and Joel Hofer to get this trade done. I think that's too much because that's everything that you have. But if you're talking about two or three first round draft picks and a Jake neighbors or a bull Duke or a Hofer or a Perunovich, 
then I think you have to strike that deal because you're not only getting them for this year, you're getting them for the next three years. But my biggest concern with Chikram T-Bone is you're getting a guy whose advanced analytics numbers are probably the worst they've ever been. Yeah, that is the big underlying issue with Jacob Chikrin is the advanced numbers. And granted, you can look at it and say maybe it's just because he's on a bad team, he comes to a winning scenario, maybe things change. Because I think we all look at Jacob Chikrin's numbers and go, okay, he's not that bad. Like, he, he's better than what his numbers say. So, but I, I think that if you're the Blues and you can, if you want to go all in, if you're Doug Armstrong and you want to go all in, I think pulling a move like this is the move that you need to make. And I, I disagree with... If you're going all in, it's basically win now and it's win next year. I, I That's partially true, but I still think that the winning window, I, if you can pull off this deal and then you, I have faith in the Blues drafting ability. I mean, we just mentioned it. Jordan Kyrie was a second round pick and he was an all-star and could have potentially been the all-star game MVP. I, I have faith in the Blues drafting that I don't necessarily agree with that. It's basically if they go all in, the window shrunken down to two years. You have your young core in Kairou Thomas. If Perunovic is not in the deal, you have Perunovic still here. You've got, depending on what you have, you've got Bennington locked up for six years. You've got a lot of the core pieces still locked up. Colton Preko's locked up. You've got uh, Brandon Sods here for a couple more years. Buchnevich here for a couple more years. Uh, maybe O'Reilly's back. So I think you still have the pieces to where the winning window, maybe it shrinks, but I don't think it shrinks down to one to two years. I still think the winning window is about three to five years, even if you all in and go and acquire Jacob Chikrin and have to empty the farm system. Yeah, it's not. I mean, look, you got your top three defensemen locked up for the next five, six seasons. You got your number one goalie locked up. Uh, and right now you would essentially have after next season, you'd have three of your top six, top nine forwards locked up with the expectations of Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas being locked up. Uh, you're probably going to lose if you make a deal like this. And maybe you can still figure things out with the salary cap. This is where it gets fascinating because what does O'Reilly want? What does Perron want? What does Barbashev and Sunquist? That's the things that Doug Armstrong and his team have to figure out. But look, if you get a Jacob Chikrim, I know the underlying numbers don't look great and he might not be my number one priority right now. But if you're going for a home run hit, this might be it playing with Colton Pareko. Uh, from the Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Uh, do you think the lockout, this is from the 314, do you think the lockout in baseball has more impact on diehard fans as opposed to casual fans? Casual fans just care that the season starts on time and don't pay attention to the more fine details. T-Bone, you are the biggest diehard baseball fan that I know. So I guess I'll ask you this question. Does this affect you more than, say, somebody who is casually a baseball fan? I don't. I don't think so I, I i'm just at the point now and i think a lot of baseball fans are too where it's just oh my gosh can we just get the deal done and let's get back on the field i want to watch baseball i want to see pitchers and catchers report i want to see you know spring training games that lead into the regular season then we get the full 162 i, I don't know if it has an impact whether you're it has an impact excuse me I, I don't know if there's much of a difference between a diehard and a casual fan. I think the diehard fan probably is maybe a little more frustrated than the casual, casual fan. fan would be like my wife my wife she loves baseball. She loves the Cardinals, but she'll watch baseball when it's on, but she's not watching every single game all season long. Yeah, and I think the casual fan probably will hit them a little harder once we get to the time when it is baseball season in March 31st when opening day is supposed to be. The diehard fans are probably going to feel the effects when you know normal spring training is here and you're starting to read all the headlines of what's going on in camp. 
they're probably going to be a little more frustrated then compared to the casual fan, which will probably start about March 31st when they can't see the Cardinals open up in Pittsburgh or when the Cardinals are supposed to have their home opener. That's when the casual fan will really start to feel it, too. Uh, this is an interesting question. We're going to get into this at 1230. Um, can the Blues restock their system in a deal with Vladimir Tarasenko in the offseason? So let's let's save that one. Let's put a pin in that one. And we're going to come back to that at about 1230. I'm probably going to forget my good answer. You're 85 years old. Of course, you're going to forget your good answer. Final one we'll do here on questions and answers. Uh, fellas, heard this asked on the fast lane on Friday. If they collect anything like memorabilia, do you guys collect anything? And then they follow it up with, of course, BK probably collects Beanie Babies and Tanner collects stamps. I don't, I don't collect stamps. That's pro- You collect pennies. You got a penny collection, I, I don't you? I used to, but, not, yeah, but you it was do. like the, what what is it called where you press the penny? Like you go to Disney World oh, and they have like one a of thing those, where it's yeah. I used to do you that. You press a penny for like 25 cents and the penny's yeah. not worth anything? Yeah, pretty much. So. I, I don't do that anymore. I used to do that when I was younger. The only thing that I really collect is I have a baseball from every baseball ballpark I've been to, minor leagues and major leagues. So hmm. that's really the only thing I collect. Cool. And it's, I try to get it to where if I can, it's got the image of the stadium in the between the seams if not it's usually just a ball that looks cool that has the team logo or just says something cool about the team so i do that i have about 15 baseballs right now i would have more but i didn't start this till i got older so that's that's probably the number one thing i collect. Uh, for a while there i was collecting sports memorabilia but i've kind of trended off of that i don't know why but i mean i have a couple things i got, I got a football signed by herschel walker when i did an interview with him at X. I got a mike tyson boxing glove which is pretty cool but I mean, other than that, I've kind of like trended off of that, but still kind of cool to have those things in the basement. I, I used to do that too because I have a bunch of signed photos from former yeah. Cardinals from winter warm up, like Alan Craig, Tyler Lyons, Stephen Piscotti. And I was on a cruise, this had to be about three years ago, and they had a silent auction, and there was a pair of Muhammad Ali boxing shorts that were signed. And like, I, I was ready to drop whatever I could, but then my wife re- reminded me, like, hey, we have to eat at some point. So. Yeah. You should have had my dad there with you because he's good at silent auctions when he doesn't want to win. Like, he'll go up there and he'll go, oh, you know, okay, that, that's cool. I'll just sign, you know, thinking, I'm not going to win. And I'll then just he put gets them all. And then we go back and look, <laughs> holy crap, well, I won three things. There goes $750 down the drain, but at least you get the Muhammad Ali boxing shorts. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BKN Ferrario. Coming up next, Nazem Kadri of the Colorado Avalanche had some pretty intense words on the Central Division. How does that apply to the Blues? We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today or tomorrow. He'll be back with us on Wednesday, day before the Blues return to the ice. So he comes back at the perfect time to talk a little Blues hockey. But with Tanner Hendricks and I am Alex Ferrario, the second half starts up on Thursday for the Blues. And T-Bone, this this is probably going to be the most difficult race for a playoff position in the most recent history that I can remember for the Central Division. I mean, there have been very difficult races to make the playoffs in the past for the Blues in the Central. Like there was a time where Nashville was the dominant force. There was a time where um, you could make the argument that Minnesota was the more dominant force but you have four teams right now that aren't giving up any position. And on top of that, you still have Dallas, who's in this race, Winnipeg, who is still in the race, albeit six, seven, eight points out, but they're not out of it yet. And things got even more interesting over the weekend 
during the All-Star festivities. Nazem Kadri, of course, oh, the co- yeah, everyone's favorite Nazem Kadri, the Colorado Avalanche Center. Uh, he was asked about his team's performance in the first portion of the season and sitting with 68 points with what is it? 42 games played. Not too shabby. And they don't lose at home. And they don't lose at home while well, they lost to the Coyotes at home before the break. <laughs> Suckers. Kadri said, we want to be as close to perfect as we can. How close to perfect have they been for the past month? Close, says Kadri, but I think through all the winning that we've had and we can continue to get better, and I don't think we've seen our best yet. That, of course, Nazem Kadri of the Colorado Avalanche. Would you expect anything less? Absolutely not. Any hockey player is going to say that. But what's interesting is the speculation around that All-Star weekend. Because of the trade deadline, Colorado has been connected to top centerman for the Philadelphia Flyers, Claude Giroux. All-Star game MVP. All-Star MVP. Should have been Kyrou if they just would have won. No kidding. But this is Way why to go, the, guys. Way this to try. Is, this is why the second half is going to be really interesting and probably the most difficult because you have teams that know that one misstep, one losing streak, one injury, you're done, especially in the Central Division. So if you're Colorado looking to be perfect, if you're Nashville looking to be perfect, if you're St. Louis to be perfect, that's why this trade deadline is probably so interesting and why you want the Blues to probably go all in for that defenseman because teams like this know that they have to make upgrades to win a cup. Yeah, this division, this division. Well, I think we talked about this a little bit last week. I mean, this division is just loaded. I mean, the top four, and I get it, Dallas, Winnipeg, they're still in this race about eight points back. I'll be honest, I've basically written those two teams off. I, I've looked at just this top four, Blues, Wild, Predators, Avalanches, the four that are in the Central, and that's probably my mistake, and I'll, we'll probably have this cut in, you know, when playoffs start, when the Blues, if they miss, we'll have this cut for a TKO, which, again, huh. I don't think is going to happen. We've but, got plenty of them, don't worry. Yeah, good. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, this is probably the deepest this division has been. It's no NFC East of football where it's everybody's just kind oh, of the there. the division. Yeah, no, the, these four teams are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. It, every time you look, they're winning. You mentioned it, it's hard to gain ground in this division, and that's where the move for a defenseman is so key for the Blues because it just shores up. You look at the Blues, and I think it's I think everybody can say, it. okay, they have one hole. What's that hole? It's they need a top four defenseman. And I think if the Blues do that, they plug all the holes in the boat. It's not sinking, but it's got the little leak in it that's just annoying. I, I think the Blues can plug that hole, and they, they're going to be that team that we look at and say, okay, are they perfect? No, every team's got their flaws, but they're pretty damn close. And I, I think that making that move for that defenseman, it doesn't maybe leapfrog them above Colorado, but it puts them in the same category where I'm talking about them going, okay, I feel comfortable, not comfortable, but I feel like they stand a chance in a series against Colorado. Right now I can say that, but I do have fears of how the defense would hold up against them if they met them in the Stanley Cup playoffs, whether that was the first round, the second round, or in the conference finals. Anyway, I just look at it and say, okay, Colorado's the team that Doug Armstrong, he's even told us this on BK and Ferrario before, Colorado's that team that we're looking at of, okay, how can how are we going to beat them? They're, they're the team to beat in the Western Conference. How are we going to get there? I think the defenseman shores it up. And again, that just the division and it's tough, how tough it is, it's going, to be, it's going to be kind of the battleground for the Blues to kind of test out their, how the defenseman looks when they go and acquire them. I think the defenseman shores it up, but I think you also have to look internally and look at a few people that need to take their game to the next level for this team to compete with those teams like Minnesota, Nashville, and Colorado. And I got five of them, T-Bone. Five. Do you know what this means? 
T-Bone 3? No, not T-Bone 3. Not a T-Bone 10. Not a BK buildup. No, this is a Ferrario 5. T-Bone hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5. Talking my open, man. Top 5 list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top 5. Here's a little hint. All five of these are Jordan Bennington. Just joking. They're we not. Done T-bone three, and Billy then. Huso's not on this list, so don't get too excited over there, T-Bone. It's okay. He's too good to be on this <laughs> list. Uh, number five on this list is Vladimir Tarasenko. And the reason I put him on this list is I think he does need to find a way to take it to the next level in terms of just being that dominant force offensively. He's been unbelievable this season compared to what people expected coming into this game. But if you go back and look at the last four or five games for Vladdy, Went a little silent on the gold production. Still picking up assists, but I want to see Vladdy be that guy that in the middle of December we're talking about, who the heck is this player for the Blues? If he can step his game back to the next level, be the power play force that he has been and always be the guy that people circle circle on the list, that opens up more ice time for some of those other guys to perform. So Vladdy's number five on this list. I think that's a good one, and you brought it up. He's a little bit of a funk right now. Sure, he is distributing the puck, but that's not what you look at Vladimir Tarasenko to be. You look for him to be the goal scorer. This is the second time this season we've had this conversation. Let's not forget, earlier in the year, he went through, I think it was a 10-game goalless yeah. drought. I'm with you. Still Vladimir picking Tarasenko, up assists, which is great, but you want those goals. He needs to be the goal scorer, and, and I think that is pivotal for the Blues in the Speaking second half. Speaking of goal scoring, that's where I go with number four on this list, and it's Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas has had a really successful portion of the season, especially in distributing the puck. I mean, you got a guy who's on pace for, what is it, 40, 45 assists this season? But I think I mentioned this last week. I want Robert Thomas to be a goal scorer. If you look at the shots on goal, So other than the game against the Winnipeg Jet, that final game for the Blues, he went six straight games with at least one shot on goal or zero shots on goal. The more I look at Robert Thomas, the more I look at the potential of a player who could be like a Jonathan Taves-esque type of player. You got to get that goal scoring, and he's got it. But I think that's what opens up more ice time for that line because everyone knows what Jordan Cairo has. Everyone knows what Vladimir Tarasenko has. But I think Jamie Rivers talked about this last week. Robert Thomas is a guy that you can read because he's always going to pass. But when you start to become the guy who shoots the puck, that's where it gets really dangerous. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. I think you brought it up. I think Jamie's brought it up. If Robert Thomas doesn't become a little bit more of a goal score threat, I'm not saying he has to be a 20 goal guy. But if you're going to start cheating on him because you know he's going to pass, it's going to take away a little bit of that line as a whole's ability. So I agree with you. I think that's a perfect number four. Number three on this list is Ryan O'Reilly. I mentioned this on Friday, but I think Ryan O'Reilly is going to be crucial in terms of the goal scoring ability, but more so his defensive ability. Um, If he can take that step that was back to him winning the MVP of the playoffs in the Stanley Cup final, this team becomes even more dangerous. And this team, I would put them up against the Colorado Avalanche because if O'Reilly can eliminate Landeskog and McKinnon and Rantanen, if his line can do that, then that's where it opens up for the Blues because they have the advantage. So Ryan O'Reilly is number three on this list. Number two, pretty obvious it's Colton Pareko. Because without Pareko being the shutdown defenseman, and this ties into the the other defenseman that you can acquire, what you just mentioned, you'd put them in the category with Colorado. If you get somebody who can play and be relied upon, like a Jacob Chikrin, like a Chara, like a Giordano, whomever that may be, that's who you're going to rely upon. And that's how Pareko can take that next step in terms of uh, the guy that will take his game to the next level. And then number one is Jordan Bennington. And we're going to talk about this at 1230 today. 
but this team's chance at a Stanley Cup doesn't rely on Ville Husso, in my opinion. I know that's hard to hear, T-Bone. Don't cry. It relies on Jordan Bennington. And you have to have Jordan Bennington's game at that at that next level in this second half. With 38 games remaining, I, I, I would imagine it's probably going to be 2018 split in favor of Jordan Bennington, which is actually pretty comparable. Like, I, I, I wouldn't believe that if you told me originally, but I think they're going to find playing time for Billy Husso, but I think Bennington has to be the one that takes his step to the next level. I agree Bennington has to take a step to the next level. I, I disagree that the Blues can't win a cup without him. I think Ville Husso can backstop them towards the Stanley Cup. I mean, we heard Matt Larkin say, hey, Ville Husso is basically right now, and again, it's the beginning of the story, but he's pulling off almost the same story that Jordan Bennington has. I think the Blues, sure, the split could end up being 28-18, as you mentioned. I think the St. Louis Blues will ride the hot hand in Ville Husso up until he starts to struggle or until Bennington finds his groove back. And then once he does, then you ride him as the hot hand. So that's your Ferrario five guys who need to take their performance to the next level in the second half. Vladimir Tarasenko, Robert Thomas, Ryan O'Reilly, Colton Pareko, and number one, Jordan Bennington. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, Jake Neighbors. Is he considered untouchable? Well, one Blues analyst doesn't believe so, and we'll discuss that in the in the in reference to the Blues going all in. But coming up next, NFL quick hitters, including Aaron Rodgers, less impactful than Ryan Tannehill. We'll discuss next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We have the Super Bowl on Sunday, Bengals and Rams, and we'll be talking about that all week. But there's also plenty of other storylines going on in the National Football League with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario as we get into some NFL quick hitters. And let's start with the Tennessee Titans, T-Bone, because there was some speculation on Friday that the Titans could pursue Aaron Rodgers. If I was reading it correctly, Somebody out there was doing a tinfoil Ferrario because Aaron Rodgers bought property in Nashville. And they were thinking, oh, he's moving to Nashville. Surely they're going to go get him. Surely he's going to become a Tennessee Titan because he's moving to Nashville. Good airplane reference that you have no idea what that means. I've just heard you say it a lot. Didn't we do this with Tom Brady, too? Like Tom Brady was selling his property and they're like, oh, he's leaving. And then he left. Oh, wait, he's actually leaving? Maybe he is. So... A reporter on Friday basically stated, covers the Tennessee Titans, turned to report, Titans do not consider Rodgers to be an option for them at quarterback and have full intentions of moving forward with Ryan Tannehill. Nice. So basically, the Titans are saying Tannehill is greater than Aaron Rodgers. Am I reading that correctly? Um, I don't know if I'd say that. but Greater than... Tannehill for in, our in team. Other words, in other words, Tennessee just said, yeah, yeah getting Rodgers is going to be tough, if not impossible. We'll just save ourselves from doing all that work and just go with Ryan Tannehill. And that's the thing, too. Like, let's not read into this too much and saying, well, the Titans are going to stick with Tannehill over Rodgers. Isn't if you trade for Rodgers, aren't you taking on like $26 million or something like that in cap hit on top of having to trade probably like three or four first round draft picks? Yeah, not only do you take on a big contract, but also, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm getting ready to look this up. I think that if you trade Tannehill, he counts as a pretty big number. Oh, really? Against the cap. I'm not 100% certain on that, but yeah, I 
I, I wouldn't read too much into this because I didn't think it was a possibility that he was going to go to Tennessee. But if, I, if I'm Tennessee, I would definitely have tried to figure it out. I mean, like, if you put Aaron Rodgers on that Titans team, to me, they become the Super Bowl favorites next year. I just think that's where they are with that team if they have Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, look, of course you're going to try and make a move for Aaron Rodgers if you have the opportunity, but that's knowing that you can, you know. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't trade so, Yeah, I just so, looked at his numbers. Oh, contract. really? How much is it? Uh, his dead caps... I could be reading this wrong. BK knows these rules better than me. His dead cap's at fifty-seven point four oh, yeah. million. Dollars. And then on top of the fact that you're going to have to pay Aaron Rodgers and then pay the price to get Aaron Rodgers, yeah, that this has nothing to do with Rodgers is less impactful than Ryan Tannehill for the Titans, and everything to do with you're not going to pay the price when you have a completely adequate quarterback who can at least win a game for you in the playoffs and then choke after that. Anyway, that was quarterback for. conversation. We'll continue it with Russell Wilson. And the Seattle Seahawks, because this speculation has been ongoing for a significantly long time. But now, since it's the offseason, it becomes the topic of conversation once again. And Ian Rappaport was discussing this uh, earlier today. Russ wants to he wants to know his options. I'm not saying he's definitely going to go, but he wants to look around and see. And I think if you're Seattle, you know, it's the same problem they've had the last couple of years, which is. Even if they get a great offer, even if they get, let's say, three first-round picks for Russell Wilson, who is going to actually be their quarterback, and how quickly could they rebuild? Because Pete Carroll's 71, and he's not going to want it to be a four-year rebuild. So, you know, I wouldn't rule out a trade, but they have to have – it has to be a no-brainer, and they have to know the answer to the next question as well. That's Ian Rappaport on the Pat McAfee show. And uh, earlier today on Get Up, this was Ryan Clark's comments about Russell Wilson. He's not an all-time great quarterback, never going to be in those conversations. We have to stop putting him in that world that any team that has Russell Wilson can win a Super Bowl. So... I disagree with that comment. With Russell Wilson being out there... See, Russell Wilson to me is the type of guy where I think it, it, it has to be the right team. Like, I don't think you can do with him like you can do with Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, where you put him on any team and they're going to turn themselves into at least a playoff contender, if not Super Bowl contender. Russell Wilson's the type that you have to find the right match in terms of weapons, offensive line, and somebody that is not dependent on a running game, but has that option. And I just don't know how many teams are out there that would show interest in Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson... I'm not saying you put him in like a Joe Burrow spot where there's like legitimately no offense flying to be sacked nine times. Oh, yeah, that would well. never work. But I, I mean, I've, we've seen him play well with a so, super offensive yeah. line, and he had weapons at wide receiver. I would still be willing to go take a chance on Russell Wilson. I, I still think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I, I think he's a difference maker for a team that wants to go and acquire him. Sure, three first-round picks is a steep asking price. Maybe you could go two and throw in a young quarterback if you're I'm just going to throw a team out there like Miami, let's say, for example. Two first-round picks and two. Seattle would probably pull off that deal, I think. And I know Pete Carroll's one in a rebuild, but let's be honest. Pete Carroll's probably the coach there for this year, and then he's probably done. I was, to be completely frank with you, kind of stunned they didn't fire Pete Carroll this offseason. Yeah, I am too. Because I think they're entering that phase of which it is, okay, we probably need to enter a rebuild or get close to doing so. And what's the first domino in that? It's Russell Wilson. But I, if I'm a team, I would take a shot on Russell Wilson because I think he's the second best available quarterback on the market if Aaron Rodgers isn't. And if Rodgers isn't, then he's the best quarterback on the market. So I'd be willing to take a shot on him because I've watched him play the Rams a lot. I still think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when he has the weapons around him. Well, there are another quarterback that could be available, and this is uh, this is massive tinfoil Ferrario for you. So Kyler Murray 
is trending on Twitter right now. You know why, T-Bone? What's he trending for? Well, apparently... Contract extension? No, not a contract extension, and not because he threw a pick six uh, backing up into the end zone of a playoff game. But apparently he has unfollowed the Arizona Cardinals and everything about the Cardinals and deleted every mention of the Cardinals. This is awkward. This is really awkward, and I know I'm falling victim of social media and speculation, but that's what we do on Tinfoil Ferrario. I, I I still I've always been out on Kyler Murray. Like I just I don't know if I see a number one quarterback for a Super Bowl champion. But like, would you really knuckle down if you're the Cardinals on Cliff Kingsbury and not Kyler Murray? And I'm not saying that's what's going on here. You're just looking at the tea leaves. That's ridiculous to sit here and be like, well, we're out on Kyler Murray. Yeah, no, if I'm the Cardinals, he's Kyler Murray's still their guy. It's just interesting that this is popping up just randomly out of the blue where Kyler Murray's not following him. Maybe he hadn't been following them, but that's even harder. And, to and that's the thing. So. I have no idea. Like maybe he wasn't, but people like pay attention to this thing. And when you stop, it's one thing to unfollow him, but then when you like, you change your picture and you take, like he's deleted apparently pictures of the Arizona Cardinals on social media, uh, whatever it may be. Very interesting speculation with Arizona right now. Yeah. This, this feels like one of those where it was, okay, they had their end of season meeting. They basically said, Kyler, you cost us a game in the playoffs. And he said, whoa, it's not my fault. I'm done with you guys. This is ridiculous. And then he went and unfollowed him and got all. Someone said Kyler Murray's probably trying to focus on himself this offseason. Well, you might need to do that. Good, because then he'll learn not to throw the ball when he's being tackled in the end zone and throw it up like it's a little pop fly can of corn for a pick six. Final one here on our NFL quick hitters, and it is the Houston Texans where First, we heard it was Brian Flores that was going to be the head coach. Then we heard it was Josh McCowan who was going to be the head coach. And now we are at the point where Houston says, guess who makes the most sense for us? Lovey Smith. I have no disrespect to Lovey Smith. But is he really the right option for you with the Houston Texans as a head coach with all of these other options out there? No. And maybe it's to the point where nobody else wants to take that job. But that's hard to believe when you have big time names out on the market still. And that and I know it's just an interview, but that's where you're going with it. Lovey Smith. Yeah, I was stunned when the Texans when this got reported that the Texans were going to name him the head coach because it just doesn't make sense. And granted, I get they don't have the franchise quarterback. So probably going with an offensive minded head coach isn't exactly necessarily the move that they could take but what's weird about it is they fired their coach and the immediate speculation was they're going to go bring in a Brian Flores who they interviewed and he was considered a finalist they were going to hire Brian Flores it was probably going to be one of those where it was oh apparently he was the guy from all the reports and reading the tea leaves was he was the guy that wanted to bring Deshaun Watson into Miami ownership was more on the side of Tua okay now we bring in Brian Flores maybe they settle this with Deshaun for his on the field play and then they go out and hire Lovey Smith I mean there must have been some sort of philosophical differences. Maybe Cardinals fans have heard that one before between the head coach that the Texans originally had, but I just cannot believe they went with Lovey Smith. Like, this was the last thing I was expecting. Josh McCown was out there, so was Lovey Smith. And here's the thing, and I get it. He's the, he was the associate head coach for the Texans. He was the defensive coordinator for Houston, and um, he's been a head coach in the past. That's where you're going with this. I mean, we all know what the Chicago... He hasn't coached a game in the NFL since 2015, other than being an associate head coach this year. He coached the Illini. Did he, though? 
Nah. Did he, though? That was a rough experience. <laughs> well, seems like it's always rough in Houston right now with everything ongoing. But at least that's what the speculation is right now for the Houston Texans. That is our NFL quick hitters today here on BK and Ferrario. Coming up in uh, 15 minutes, we are going to dive into the junk drawer. But next, Jake Neighbors. Is he considered untouchable? One Blues analyst thinks that is not the conversation, and we'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You are in a win-now moment. I really believe that. You have a team that is deep, as, as maybe this team has had in, in, in ages, maybe since you know the early 2000s, if not even deeper than that. Look, you go win a Stanley Cup before you worry about whether or not Jake Neighbors, uh, Alexander Bolduke, you know, one of your young goaltenders or somebody like that is going to be a stud and maybe a Hall of Famer somewhere else because you've got a chance to win that cup. And so if there is an opportunity and they can figure out the cap situation, I, I would expect a certain level of aggressiveness, maybe on especially on the defensive end for the St. Louis Blues come this trade deadline. So this is the argument i guess if you're a blues fan do you go all in and say you know what jake neighbors might be a top six forward but we need a defenseman right now to win a stanley cup yeah we do or do you sit there and say we need to keep jake neighbors in house and find somebody else if you want to win a stanley cup and that's the problem I guess Doug Armstrong has going into this March 21st trade deadline with Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. That was Chris Kerber on Kirker and Smallman earlier today discussing that very topic. And Curbs has brought this up on a post game before and he brought it up in their conversation. This is what teams have done in the past. Sometimes you have to go all in if you want to win a Stanley Cup. Curbs cites the Jerome Ginla trade with the Dallas Stars, where they traded him, who was a part of the Dallas Stars when he was drafted 11th overall, to Calgary for Joe Newendike. Joe Newendike comes into Dallas. They win the Stanley Cup. The Blues are in an interesting spot with this because... Jake Neighbors, who is, he's honestly tearing it up right now in the Western Hockey League, his junior team, he's got 35 points in 21 games. We all know he was, he basically made the team out of training camp, but they did the trial period. They didn't have the role for him in the top nine, so they sent him back to junior so he can continue to be a top forward. Jake Neighbors, the first round draft pick for the Blues. If you're Doug Armstrong and you want a Jacob Chikrin, or you want a Ben Sherratt, or you want a... Mark Giordano. Jake Neighbors is going to be the one people are asking for around the league. Do you pull the trigger on that one? This is the argument, T-Bone, because some people will say, stop worrying about prospects and worry about a Stanley Cup. you got to make yourself better than the Colorado Avalanche, and to do that, Jake Neighbors is the perfect trading chip. Or do you go on the other side of this and say, well, you know what? You could go all in, get a defenseman. He might not pan out. He might be a Ryan Miller-esque trade for you. And then what happens? You don't have a player like Jake Neighbors going into the next couple of seasons. To me, it's all worth the gamble. And not, I'm I'm kind of with you. I'm a component of normally. I just kind of want to, okay, I'll go get a piece that I think complimentary, and then that'll help us out, and then we can potentially go on a run. But I think the Blues have reached that point of being at that all-in point. I think they're going to have to reach the point of getting to what John Mosaic in baseball called the puke point when it comes to making a trade because – We've talked about it multiple times. They are as deep as 
they've ever been possibly in franchise history with their forwards. I mean, we had Matt Larkin on earlier, and if you missed the interview, you can check it out at 101ESPN.com after the show. Uh, but he mentioned, you know, their third line is could be some team's top line. And their top 12, he even mentioned their top 12. Mm-hmm. Even the fourth line is really good for the St. Louis Blues. They, they are just loaded up front with their forwards. And the one thing that, in my opinion, that has held them back this season to put them above being in a wild card picture right now has been the defense. The, the defense has been okay. There have been times where it's been atrocious, like the Calgary game, but that was on everybody, so you can't really look at that for them as well. I think this is the year that with the forwards being this deep, and it's probably going to look a little different next year. I mean, we're talking about, are you going to bring back Perron? Maybe, maybe not. Vladimir Tarasenko is probably going to be dealt in the offseason. So I don't know if they're going to have this deep a group heading into next season. I think it is time for the Blues to go all in. I think you start to potentially salvage the farm system, kind of empty it out a little bit, and you go all in for someone like a Jacob Chicker and see if you can make yourself better, not better than the Colorado Avalanche, but put you on a level of the Colorado see, Avalanche. See, but that's my concern, is you don't have that deep of a system already. And uh, by all means, if they were to pull a deal for Jacob Chikrin tomorrow and included in that deal was Jake Neighbors and Scott Perunovich, I'd be ecstatic because you're getting a top defenseman to play with Colton Pareko. My concern is what the next three to five years look like. And I understand you can't worry about that. If you want to win a Stanley Cup, you got to go all in. But here's the thing. Anything can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we've seen that before. The Blues got in as a bottom team and they went on a significant run because of their goaltender. You'd have to weigh the options. Does Jacob Chikrin make you that much closer to a Stanley Cup champion than, say, a Mark Giordano or a Ben Sherratt or a Zdeno Chara? Because if I can get one of those guys for a first-round draft pick or just a second-round draft pick, am I that much closer to a Stanley Cup? And then I'm looking at the next couple of seasons, and you need cost-controlled young players who can step in and play for you. Like this, like the Scott Perunoviches, like the Jake Neighbors, like the Zachary Bulldukes. And with the Blues being in the situation that they are, of having Kyrou and Thomas looking for pay raises, same with Ivan Barbashev. You have guys locked up. You gotta have you have to have cheaper options that can turn into significant weapons for you. Not fourth line players, because you have a lot of those guys. Dakota Joshua's, Alexei Toropchenko's, those guys can play the fourth line. But do you have somebody who can fill Vladimir Tarasenko's spot? Do you have somebody who can fill David Perron's spot? That's the bigger question I would have. And if you trade away a Jake Neighbors and a Zachary Bolduke to go in all this year, absolutely, it's paid off if you win the Cup. But then what happens in three years? Do you want to sit there and look at itself and say, okay, but now we only have three or four guys who can play in the top nine for us? I, I'm making that move to go all in because I – to one of these textures points here, I believe it's from the 618 saying, you know, you just don't know anything could happen to Jake Neighbors or from the 314, excuse me. He could go on to be like a Jerome McGinley or he could go on to just nobody knows what his career could yeah. happen. He could deal with an injury or something like that that slows him down. I think the Blues need to take that approach of, okay, we we think we know what Jake Neighbors is going to be, but we know what Jacob Chikrin is. We believe, and I'm just throwing his name out there because I think he's we're using him as the example here. It could be a Ben Sherrod. It could be someone different. I, I think you go in it. I think you are willing to move some of these prospects because 
I think the Blues are pretty close to having a team that can go on that kind of Stanley Cup run and have a legitimate shot to win it. I think they are lacking at defense, and I don't think a Mark Giordano or a Zdeno Chara is that guy that's going to put them over the top. But the advanced analytics showed that Jacob Chikrin's not a number one defenseman. I get it, but Chikrin, for example, has four years on his contract. I don't buy you're a guy. You're not into advanced I'm analytics. Not. I'm just you I'm so, all the time. You guys are, and I'm just citing you and BK. We, we always go back to advanced analytics and say, well, Colton Pareko doesn't look good or Jordan Bennington doesn't look good but if you're going to go all in for a Jacob Chikrin you're not only committing to this year you're committing to three more years and wondering can he be our number one defenseman with Colton Pareko and the reason I I think he can is because I don't look at too much at those numbers and we've brought this up a lot is because he's on just a terrible team it is a team stat (laughs) but he's but he's on a terrible team in Arizona I, I mean Everybody on that team looks terrible if you look at their numbers, but that's because they're on an awful team. I, I think if you bring him here to St. Louis, or even a Ben Sherratt who's in Montreal and his numbers don't look good, I think you bring him here, their numbers are going to look better. And I, I think they're going to eventually equal out to what you're expecting from those two guys. I just look at Zendano Chara and I look at a Mark Giordano as they're rentals for sure, and you're not salvaging the farm system, and I get that decision if you're the Blues. I don't think they're a move that puts you over the top and makes you a Stanley Cup contender. I think the Blues are cup contenders are on the cusp of being one of the favorites as the cup contenders, as being in the same category as a Avalanche, as a Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay Lightning. I think they're just that tier below, and I don't think a Giordano or a Chara puts them above into that next tier to where we're saying, okay, it is Stanley Cup or bust. Right now, they're not at that point, in my yeah, opinion. Well, and this is where you, you do trust Doug Armstrong pulling off the move because whoever he acquires, you're looking at it as, okay, well, they believe this player. And that's where I say, is Jacob Chikrin the guy that you feel can put you over the top? Because he's the one that's going to cost you a high dollar. But if you're going after a Zdeno Chara or a Ben Sherrod, if you feel like those individuals can help you be in that same category, then maybe the cost isn't too much. And and I'm, we're speculating with Jake Neighbors with this because that's who Curbs brought up. But Zachary Bolduke's another one. He's a 17th overall draft pick who's got 37 points in 31 games in his junior team. So you have two guys right now. Jake Neighbors, to, to bring it back to where we started this conversation, I wouldn't say he's untouchable, but he is the last guy on my list in terms of prospects that I'm going to say, yeah, we would trade him. Because if you're calling about a Zachary Bolduke, if you're calling about a Scott Perunovic or a Joel Hofer, I'm probably going to listen a lot more intently than I would be with a Jake Neighbors just because we saw how Neighbors played and it was so close to the identity of what the Blues team needed that I feel like you might be missing out on an opportunity to have somebody continue that threshold of a Stanley Cup window. Whereas if you're trading a Bullduke who's 16, 17 years old, he's not going to be he's not going to be a part of this team for the next three years. So I'm not worried about that guy. I can replenish that stock more so than a guy like Jake Neighbors who might fit into my top nine next season when you move on from Vladimir Tarasenko. If you move on from Vladimir Tarasenko, if you can't bring back David Perron or Ryan O'Reilly and you can't upgrade in other areas offensively. I just look at it as, you know, do I want a complimentary piece that can help me salvage the system for potentially two, three years down the road where that is like the Giordano or the Chara? Or do I want to go get that 
top-level defenseman that I think can really improve this team, whether that is improving because of offensive numbers, maybe he's an offensive-minded defenseman, or because he's going to become a lockdown defenseman with a Colton Pareko, but I have to salvage maybe potentially some of my future with a Jake Neighbors or a Scott Pronovich. I just feel like this is the year. I, I don't know if you go into next year and if they play well, you look at them and go, okay, this is the year for them to do it. I think this is the year. I think this is the deepest they've been at forward. I only, there's no, I, in my opinion, there's no way they're going to be this deep again next year because of, of Vladimir Tarasenko potentially being moved, Perron's contract coming up. This just feels like that year where it is, okay, we've been talking about this window. At some point, you're going to have the beginning of the window. You're going to have the end of the window. Where's going to be that middle to where you say, this is the perfect year for us to go win it all? And I think that year's this year. The interesting part with Chikrin, and I'll say this last before we uh, get to uh, break and get to the junk drawer. The interesting part with Chikrin is you do have him for three more years after this season. And if you were to make this move and you were also to include a Marco Scandella, you're only adding about a million dollars in contract in terms of Scandella to Chikrin. So you have your top four locked up, and then your just cost-controlled defenseman, Nico Mikola, Robert Bortuzzo, some of the depth pieces are your third pairing. Your defense is set for the next three years, and I think that puts you at the top of the list with all of these other teams because your defense is that good. It just comes down to the question marks on offense, and as we've noted, this team's already deep at offense. What do you think is going to change going into next season? He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario in 15 minutes. Who's building their team in the right way in the NFL. T-Bone and I are going to go through a couple of teams in about 15 minutes, but up next, we dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is time to get into the junk drawer today here on BK and Ferrario. And T-Bone, I got a all-star weekend edition of our junk drawer today. All right. You ready I, for this I, I one? I don't know what that means, but it, I'm ready. And it's it's not the Pro Bowl, so don't get too excited. It's, it's We're sticking in the National Hockey League. Of course we are. Oh, good, because the Pro Bowl was definitely <laughs> Pro watchable. Bowl, there's absolutely nothing from that weekend. So the skills competition, they, they have the breakaway challenge where – it's basically a shootout. You got the goaltender. You have one participant and they're trying to score a goal, but they're also trying to be the most creative. Like we've seen in the past. I think Alex Ovechkin did it and put blindfold or uh, put sunglasses on. Um, we've seen, I think there's been a player who brought his kid out to do the breakaway challenge. The best one that I have seen happened over the weekend and it's Trevor Zegers of the Anaheim Ducks now T-Bone you don't know this movie reference which frankly shame on you dodgeball from dodgeball but you still don't know the movie reference they, they said it on the highlight so what he did if you've ever seen the movie dodgeball with Vince Vaughn at the end of it Vince Vaughn puts patches O'Houlihan's blindfold on and basically plays dodgeball against Ben Siller's character so what Zegers did was he put the blindfold on in a average Joe's dodgeball uniform skated in on the goaltender with the blindfold on and scored a goal. And guess what? He lost. You know who he lost to? Everyone's favorite Stanley Cup champion, Alex Petrangelo, but he lost to Alex Petrangelo, who didn't score a goal on the breakaway challenge. I saw he did not score both tries. He didn't score a goal where Trevor Zegers put a blindfold on and scored not even just a goal. It was a highlight reel, like smacked it out of the air goal. Didn't 
correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Petro on his first run not even have anything? Wasn't it just like a breakaway? And then yeah. he called out like a drum line. Yeah. Yeah, kind of blah, Petro. And, and, and he won because John Hamm gave him the the, the well, nine vote. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. I was going to say, I saw him put up and, a 16. Yeah, and look, it was it, we love John Hamm. We love Alex Petrangelo. If somebody was going to win it, it needs to be that guy. But it just felt like there was a lot of bias. And I know it's the breakaway challenge. It's like that list of musicians that I got so frustrated about. Like, what are we doing here? That was the best goal of that breakaway challenge. I'm with you. And I think... It should have won, and granted, I get it, it's All-Star Weekend, so it doesn't really matter, but come on, really? I mean, we're going to give out a nine for Petro just skating in and taking a breakaway that, shot? That was so frustrating because he didn't even score, and I'm like, what are we doing? This guy scored a goal with a blindfold on. Look, I know John, Han- John Hans loved here in St. Louis, but John, really? Come on. The guy was blindfolded, <laughs> someone, spun around, and scored. Someone brought up another good one, and I forgot about this from the 3 one four. Brian Elliott took a photo when Vladimir Tarasenko was going in to score a goal on him. I, that, that one was pretty cool, too, where basically Elliott was in net, and Vladdy came down and turned around and did a selfie getting scored on. That was a good one, too. Yeah, I... The breakaway is, it, is that the breakaway challenge? Yeah, yeah the breakaway challenge. It, it's gotten more entertaining over the years because it used to be it was you just kind of personality the, with it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what the NHL needed badly, and they've got it this year. I mean, you had Kaprizov come out in the OV jersey. Hughes came, did a magic trick and brought out a little uh-huh. mini Hughes, and they both threw their sticks into the stands, which was cool. So the we're getting more creative. It's starting to look. It's becoming more of the it's entertainment. Yeah, it's NBA. I, it's NBA All Star Weekend vibes, which yeah. is about you the, got the judges on the exactly. ice. Exactly, like that. It felt more like the NBA, and to be honest, the NBA, in my opinion, does it best with All Star Weekend of all the attention surrounding it and what goes into it. And it's because you get the personalities, and I think you got that in the skills competition. I'll be honest, I was more impressed. I can't remember who did it. Dressed up in the Hangover, caught the football from Derek Carr, and scored the football. Because you know how hard it would you be watching to, the Pro Bowl. No, no, no. Someone came out. They did the you said Derek Carr. Yeah, Derek Carr was on the ice and oh, threw a football. And oh, I can't remember I must who have it was that, that caught it. Someone caught I must the have football. missed that one. By the way, I, I need to correct myself. He didn't give a Petro a nine. He gave him a nineteen for, exactly. of course, the Stanley Who's Cup year. That no one had a nineteen card. He held up a one and a nine. Well, again, he did it for the Stanley Cup. I get it. We all love John Hamm, but I'm like, come on, Trevor Zegers deserved the nineteen. And I don't even like Trevor Zegers, but I enjoyed what he did. I'm with you. Uh, anyway, I'm getting frustrated over an All Star weekend. But that's what that's what happens, I guess, here on BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. Jordan Cairo was a superstar. That's very true. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got in or out. You can send us your scenarios on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. But coming up next, who is building the right way in the National Football League? T-Bone and I are going to go through a list of about seven teams, give you our thoughts on if they're building the correct way or not. That's next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So who's building their team in the NFL the right way? Now, who to say who's to say the right way, the wrong way when you evaluate it? Well, you go off of teams that are playing in the Super Bowl or you go off of teams that are considered Super Bowl favorites. And with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario, you've got the Super Bowl on Sunday with the L.A. Rams, the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, when you look at the top teams in the National Football League, you always seem to go to the Kansas City Chiefs and you go to the Buffalo Bills. Ah, Chiefs. Okay, more the Bills because they Chiefs couldn't win. They beat the Bills. Well, they had to cheat. But Point when off. you look at how those teams have built their teams... 
it, it seems to be the same trend, T-Bone. You get a young quarterback who you have high potentials for. In this case, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. Matthew Stafford doesn't fall into this situation, but they built the team outside of that. Built the team around Goff, and then they use that young quarterback to flip him But they Stafford. also built that team around the right head coach and the offensive-minded head coach. Now, the exception here is Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills, but I think what they were able to accomplish with Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, they were able to get the best out of Josh Allen, and Josh Allen's just a freak when it comes to his size as a quarterback. So when you look at the way that these teams have built their rosters and built their teams to compete for a Super Bowl, you look at the teams that are trying to do this, that are in the projection category, the teams that have selected first, second, third overall, and have recently made head coaching hires. And you wonder if they're building the right way. Like, let's go down the list here, T-Bone. Look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, who they just hired. Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, of course, who won the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. Is he the right offensive-minded head coach? Where you know you've got the quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, but you wonder, did you just put the right head coach around him and then start to build weapons? Yeah, I, I think Jacksonville might be building the right way. Now, granted, their GM could be a big question mark in this, but uh, you look at them, you mentioned they've got the quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, you've got the head coach in Doug Peterson. Now it's just a matter of surrounding Trevor Lawrence with some weapons. And I think Jacksonville's in that spot to where they're probably a couple years away, but if they start to add those weapons, they have the draft capital to do so, then I, I think they will be fine with Trevor Lawrence. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are building the right way. Again, the step that they're missing is adding the weapons around them and protecting Trevor Lawrence, but they've got the, I think they've got the right head coach in place. Doug Peterson, as you mentioned, has Super Bowl experience, developed Carson Wentz until Carson Wentz just fell apart after his injury, and they've got Trevor Lawrence, a guy that everybody viewed as a elite quarterback coming out of the last NFL draft. So we have we have seven teams on this list, Jaguars being one of them, along with the Jets, Giants, Bears, Panthers, Dolphins, and Texans. And in my opinion, there are two teams that I think have built the right way or are trending in that direction. One are the Jaguars, because I'm with you. I think getting Doug Peterson with that quarterback, you're 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 putting the right offensive mind with a young quarterback, and now you need the pieces around it. And I think the Dolphins are doing the same thing. And if you missed it, they hired uh, Mike McDaniels. Is that That's the right name. Mike McDaniels uh, from, the, San from the San Francisco 49ers. He yeah. was the offensive coordinator under Kyle Shanahan with um, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's another team that's doing it the right way. Like it or not, believe him or not, Tua is the quarterback for them as of now. Maybe they make a move to get Deshaun Watson. I don't know how, but it seems like this is the direction they're going. And you just brought in an offensive mind who has been working under Kyle Shanahan, one of the brightest offensive mind in the game right now. I think the Dolphins are starting to do it the right way. It's just a matter of can you put the pieces around it? But I'm, am I mistaken on this one, T-Bone? Do you think they're going in the right direction? See, the Dolphins are a tough one for me to judge because I get you don't know the quarterback. Their, well, not so much because I think Tua took some strides forward this year. I, I don't know if his ceiling is going to be one of those elite-level quarterbacks. He's probably going to end ultimately, in my opinion, his ceiling is probably going to be that Kirk Cousins level, a guy that could be Yeesh. the mediocre quarterback that could get you to the playoffs, but will he ever get you through to the Super Bowl to win a Super Bowl? Maybe not. That's just how I view Tua. I could be completely wrong on that. But my biggest question is I don't know how to really look at them and say they're building the right way when they clearly had a coach that was working in Brian Flores. They fired him because of what appears to be disputes between him and the front office. And then they do bring in Mike McDaniels, which I get it. He is an offensive-minded head coach, 
But is he that guy that is going to take Tua to the next level? I mean, Miami has weapons. Defensively, they were solid, and I, I still love their defense. I just Even offensively, I mean, you got Mike Kosecki, you got Jalen Waddle. I mean, yeah. you got weapons there for him. I just can't look at them and say, okay, they're building. I guess technically, if you want to look at them, they're building the right way. But to me, they're just in murky water of how to judge them. I mean, you got the issues with the owner and the accusations against oh, yeah. him. They fired Brian Flores after two winning seasons, what supposedly they were trying to lose. I just don't know if I can throw them into this category. I, I honestly believe the only team that's really doing it right of those teams that you mentioned is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they're tough to judge because their GM is just um, they're a wearing mess. clown uniforms right. to well, the final game of the, the season. The other team, though, that I would say I'm I'm kind of on, on watch right now are the New York Giants. And the only reason I'm not putting them in this category is because I, they, I don't know who their quarterback is. It's not Daniel Jones. Daniel it's, Jones. It's Daniel Jones. No, yeah. it's right now it's Daniel Jones, but let's all be honest. Danny Dimes isn't going to be the, the one that's going to lead them to the promised land. But I think you made the right hire in Brian Dable as the head coach. Frankly, I was a little disappointed Dable went there because I was hoping he went somewhere with an established quarterback like Chicago with Justin Fields or, frankly, at the time, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. But I think the Giants can go in that direction if they find themselves the right quarterback. There's one team that stands out above the rest, though, T-Bone, that's not doing it the right way. And and I think I'm in the minority here. It's the Chicago Bears. Oh, see, really? Because I'm actually... But he's a defensive-minded guy, isn't he? He is, but Sean, Matt Eberflus is the one they hired. Yeah, but Sean McDermott's defensive minded too, and they were able to develop the best. But now, they got they the best Brian offensive Dable. coordinator, and I don't know. And they haven't hired the offensive coordinator yet, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if there's a guy that you can bring in that could match what Brian Dable did with the quarterback. What's interesting with the Chicago Bears and the way that they are building is because they have the defensive. They brought in the defensive minded coach when they have a pretty good defense. I mean, they have some weapons on. Uh, the defensive side of the ball. Robert Quinn had a really good year for them. You've got Hicks that's there, but I think he might be a free agent if I'm not mistaken. I look at them and I say, okay, they brought in a defensive-minded coach because they had a good defense. They want to continue that success. Now it does come down to that offensive coordinator higher. If they can nail that, then maybe they are a team to keep an eye on because Justin Fields, he's tough to project on what his ceiling is going to be because his first year was just rough and it was under Matt Nagy. It's kind of hard to read into it. Just like it's kind of tough to read into Trevor Lawrence's first year dealing with everything that went on behind the scenes with Urban Meyer. So, but I, I think they've got the quarterback. They're going to have to upgrade the weapons offensively to help Justin Fields. But I think they can be successful under Matt Eberflus. I, I just believe that they have the opportunity to, with the way that defense played last year and at times looked really good, and they have still have some pieces there that he can develop that defense even further and get them to closer towards getting back to the play. Air Comfort picture. Service text line six five seven. I know is taking shots at me because I said established quarterback. Maybe I misspoke on Fields. He's not obviously an established quarterback. But when you draft a quarterback as high as he was. And look, I mean, Daniel Jones isn't an established quarterback because we, there's been zero, there's been zero views of increase with Daniel Jones. Like it seems like it's always stagnant or it's taking a step backwards. It feels like what Sam Darnold was for, was for the longest time with the jets. I just don't see Daniel Jones as an established quarterback for Brian Dable. Maybe I'm too quick to pull the trigger on Justin field, but where you drafted him and for what the outlook was of him, he feels like somebody that you can build around kind of in the same sense of a Tua rather than a Daniel Jones. Yeah, I I don't view the Giants as building the correct way. No, I, they I just, need a quarterback if they want to go anywhere. Yeah, Daniel Jones is not the answer for them. And I think we talked about this a little bit in the office as well. You know, the Panthers are kind of in that same spot. I think Matt Rule's a good coach. They just don't have a quarterback. They, they thought yeah. Sam Darnold was going to be that guy when they went and acquired him. He was not good. Cam Newton was terrible for him. 
P.J. Walker was not their best quarterback. quarterback. Yeah, but he's not an elite quarterback, so they are missing the quarterback. They have some. Their defense was solid this year. They've got a very young core defensively. They don't really have the weapons offensively. I mean, if you want to call Chris McCaffrey that, I understand it, but he's been injured the last two years, yeah, so it's never, tough to judge. Mm-hmm. So, I they are a team that it's. I don't think they're building the right way just because they don't have the quarterback along with the New York Giants. Is there another team that I missed that you would say is building the right way? I don't think so. I, I The Jets could be because I th- I don't know if Zach Wilson's the answer, though, and I get it's only been a year. But I oh, so you're questioning more the, the the quarterback than the coach. Yeah, I think Robert Sala is a good coach. I mean, he, he was the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, and based on everything that we've seen, I think he's a good head coach. I not so much based on his on-field product, but everything we've heard. He seems like a leader. I, I just My problem with the Jets is I'm just not sold on Zach Wilson. I wasn't sold on him coming out of the draft. Yeah. So to me, his ceiling is like Kyler Murray, and then it just comes down to what do you view Kyler Murray's ceiling as? I don't think Kyler Murray's ever going to be an elite quarterback. Do you view that the same way for Zach Wilson? That's that's how I see it. Uh, T-Bone, people are very upset that you uh, called Kirk Cousins I've mediocre. I've seen Cousins' name popping up all the time. He is mediocre. <laughs> He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, Doug Armstrong, uh, you made some comments about Colton Pareko being a former blue defenseman. And I find it really interesting because if that's the comp, then who becomes the next Colton Pareko? We'll get into that in 15 minutes. But coming up next, it's in or out. Send your text on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are in or out next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Oh, man, these are your days to shine. That was your moment. No, that was these are your days a, to shine. I'm a believe it or not guy. I'm uh, not a, yeah, we know that. Well, it's not believe it or not. It is in or out where you text us a scenario. It, believe it or not. No, we only do those on Thursdays, man. It's only one day that you can handle believe it or not. In or out, send them over to us on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. By the way, it's 122. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's start with this one, T-Bone. In or out, Jimmy Garoppolo has seen his last snap as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I'm out on that one because I think Jimmy Garoppolo, look, he's got his flaws, but he's not a guy that should see his last snap in the NFL. Daniel Jones, on the other hand, maybe, but Jimmy Garoppolo, no. I think someone will He's going to be dealt this offseason. Somebody's going to make a move to go get him. Who that's going to be, I'm not quite sure just yet. Pittsburgh makes a ton of sense to get a guy that could go be a game manager. Pittsburgh doesn't have any offensive line for Jimmy G. And for a guy who's always injured, I don't know if I want to put him in that scenario. That's a good point. But, I mean, it's... We saw Kansas City do it where you retool an yeah. offensive line pretty quickly you in an offseason. could do it in one offseason. They could do it. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a good game manager. And I, I think a team like Pittsburgh makes a ton of sense to go get him. I, I don't know what Tampa Bay's situation is with Tom Brady's retirement, but Tampa Bay's probably is in the market for a quarterback because, look, we all love playing playing Gabbert here. He's probably not the answer. So You know what? That's actually really good. Like, like if, if Tampa— And they've got a bunch of weapons still, too. So the two teams that I'm thinking of for Jimmy G, like Tampa would be one of them. But if the Denver Broncos can't get Aaron Rodgers, is Jimmy G a better option than Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, because they have the weapons. The offensive line might not be the greatest, but I I think that would be 
like I, I view them as the same. I, I think Denver won with Bridgewater this year, so you could go back to it. I, I don't know if there's much of an upgrade with Jimmy G. That's just how I view yeah. it. Not a bad place. Yeah, I'd be out on this one as well. Somebody's going to give him an opportunity. I just don't know how many more opportunities Jimmy G is going to get as a uh, as a starting quarterback if he continues to struggle. From the three one four in or out, the national media will not still won't view as Jordan Cairo as a star player. If you missed it, Jordan Cairo won the fastest skater competition in the skills competition over the weekend, scored four goals in the first game. I think he got a second. I think he got a point in the second game, but the four points in that first game were what were that was the big storyline where I think he had two goals and two assists. See, this is a tough one because I want to say out on this because I think people in the national view, ESPN, the athletic, all these national writers know what Jordan Cairo is. The problem is, is he's not going to be entering into an MVP conversation because of the yeah. Connor McDavid's yeah. Leon Dreisels that are putting up a lot of points. So he may go under the radar there. I think a lot of people though will look at him and say, yeah, he's the star player in St. Louis. And now people look at the blue. When you think of the blues nationally, people probably go, they've got Ryan O'Reilly, Jordan Bennington guys that won them a Stanley cup. I think within two years, people will be saying, when I think of the St. Louis blues, I think of Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas. So yeah, I guess I'm going to say out on this because I still think the national media views him as a as a star, but they probably don't look at him in the same way they do like a Ryan O'Reilly just yet. In or out from the six one eight, Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Famer without a Super Bowl vic- without a Super Bowl championship. Without a Super. By Bowl the way, I'm out on the Kyrie thing as well. Sorry, I didn't even answer that. I'm out on that one. I think he's already in the star conversation. So Matthew Stafford, in or out, is a Hall of Famer without a Super Bowl championship. This is a good one because I hadn't even really looked at him as a potential Hall of Famer until I saw this this morning. I think I'm probably in on this. If he doesn't win a Super Bowl, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's had a good career, but I don't know if I'd call it great. I mean, I've never really looked at Matthew Stafford as a top five quarterback in the NFL in his time. Uh, so if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, I, I think I'm out on this. He might, he's probably close without it, but until he gets a Super Bowl, and this might be his best chance and potentially only chance the way the Rams went all in this year, I think I'm, I think I'm in on this. I don't think Stafford's a, a Hall of Famer without a Super Bowl. So is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? <sighs> I think so because he put up unbelievable numbers when he was with San Diego. So he has 421 touchdown passes, which is sixth most among quarterbacks. And Matthew Stafford's 12th with 323. So by the end of his career, I don't know if he gets to 421, but if he is, if he's at at least 400 and Phillip Rivers gets in, I think you're, you're talking about Matthew Stafford being because he's the only one on this list, if I'm not mistaken. Dan Marino's also one that didn't win a Super Bowl, correct? Yeah, I'm I pretty. So. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that one. Yeah, so, it was Marino. See, see, I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think it takes time for him to get into the Hall of Fame, but I think with a Super Bowl, it becomes a little bit easier of a conversation with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, I think that's where I am too, because championships certainly help, and without one, Matthew Stafford. 
he's got good numbers but again i just have never really felt even when rivers was in his prime i felt like rivers was one of the top quarterbacks because we always talked about him going up against tom brady and he ran into tom brady i mean that was the reason he couldn't get over uh, matthew stafford's taking down tom brady this year in the playoffs and yeah what his third time in the playoffs in his career so i don't know i think he needs a super bowl to get there now he could still put up impressive numbers for another five to eight years yeah. and maybe then we change the conversation a little bit uh in or out Conzo martin is the head coach of the tigers next season big victory texas a&m on saturday oh yeah 70 66 watch out they're coming no i'm out on this one I, i'm in not on, gonna fire him no i yeah I, I i'm in on this one that he'll be the head coach next season because i think he has gotten important wins this season but i also think the salary tied to conzo martin is what decides his fate more than anything i think you have one more year of conzo you see how that goes but i i just i can't see them firing him especially i mean again it's not like they're having the best season but when you're picking up some victories in the sec i think that keeps you at least in the conversation I think I'm out on this. I, I think in the offseason, Missouri will move on from him. I just think now's the time to do it. I mean, this is his recruiting class. Are you really going to buy into it? It's going to get much better than this. I mean, can't get much worse, but. But is it worth $6 million that you're having to pay or whatever it is? I think so, because I, I think it's why. why what, I get it. It's whatever the buyout is, the six, five million dollars, whatever it is. I get the money side of it, but I mean. If you project that this is what this is going to be like next year to where he doesn't have the recruiting class coming in, you're not sure if it's going to be that much better. His recruiting has really struggled since he got to Missouri. Then I just think it's time you just bite the bullet. Move on. Go find yourself a coach that you think can come in and make a difference in, in Missouri. And it's going to be the first big decision. This is the first big decision for uh, Missouri's AD, uh, Reed Francois, because yeah. she's either going to have to get a higher rider, she's going to have to stick by the head coach so it's interesting to say but i think missouri will move on from at the end of the year in or out the billikens are a uh, tournament team i hate to be bare of bad news but i'm out on this what no. just beat dayton okay and dayton's the number one team in the a10 i just don't see sl- I, I think there's only gonna be one team that comes out of the a10 i think it's gonna be the team that wins the conference tournament it's just the way things are projecting for the Atlantic 10 this year. The Atlantic 10 is not as deep as it had been in years past. I think whoever wins the tournament is going to end up getting there because the automatic bid will be the only one that gets gets in. I don't see any at-large bids, so I'm out on this because I still view SLU behind your top teams in the A-10. So. I'm in on this one. I think the Billikens won. I think the Billikens can come out of the conference tournament with a victory. But if you look at the rest of their schedule, yeah, they got some tough games, but to take down Davidson on, on home court, that was impressive. But, I mean, if you look at this, you, you play against LaSalle, St. Bonaventure twice, St. LaSalle again, Davidson. Like, Davidson, Richmond, and VCU are probably going to be the toughest games for the rest of this season. If you come out with two of those three victories with the rest of them, I think you have to put them in the conversation. Oh, I think I think they have a shot to win the A10. I mean, they're right they're right there. I mean, you look at them; they're seven two in conference, game and a half back of uh, Davidson. I just think Davidson's a really good team, and I get it. Slew beat them already. I just feel like it may be one a one off. So I, I would yeah. say I'm out on this. It'd be the negative. Yeah, one. look at you. Well, Fair someone someone responded and said, uh, "Come on, Tanner, Illinois sucks." Whoa. 
Oh. They got back at you on that one. Oh, no, I would smoke slow. <laughs> Final one here on In or Out. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. In or Out, Bennington is the number one goaltender going into the first round of the playoffs this year. I'm in on this one. I think, I think by the end of this 38-game stretch, I think Bennington plays in 24 of those 38 games. So I think you'd see 24 games for Bennington, 14 games for Villejuso. I'm out on this one for right now. I, I think right now, just projecting ahead, I think it'll be Villejuso because I can't pencil in Jordan Bennington as the starting goalkeeper for a playoff series right now until I see him get back into being 2019 to form Jordan Bennington because right now Billy Hoos has just been the better guy I mean his safe percentage is above 940 for it crying out loud yikes and Grant that's unrealistic to expect for him to maintain that the rest of the season it's going to drop down and his goals against is going to go up but Right now, I think it's Ville Husso. I think he's the guy for the Blues in a playoff series. I just don't see Jordan Bennington as the number one goalie for right now, and that could change if he can get back to form. But until I see it, I can't. I can't buy into it. Sorry, I'm illiterate. Apparently, I said Dayton's number one. Davidson is number one. Dayton was the team that the the uh, Billikens just beat. Um, both start with DA. I'm going to use that as an excuse. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got our BK and Ferrario rewind. But up next, Doug Armstrong compared Colton Pareko to this former Blues defenseman. If that's the case, who becomes Colton Pareko? We'll get to that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario here on BK and Ferrario. So Colton Pareko, he has been the hot topic for the last few months on this Blues team, talking about him not looking like the number one defenseman. We've had Brian Lawton of NHL Network on our show who said he's not the number one guy for the Blues. He's a minus 16 and 42 games this year. He's got 18 points, five goals and 13 assists. And a lot of criticism has gone towards Colton Pareko of him not being the guy and the biggest reason why the Blues have to go out and make a trade by March 21st on the trade deadline in the NHL. And I found these comments from Doug Armstrong really interesting in terms of the comps with what Colton Pareko is viewed as this season. And I want you to hear from the president of hockey operations who was on the Bernie show last week. I honestly have to say, I haven't been as, as concerned as, as, as maybe, you know the, the question that you're asking. You, you're, I think you're a little more concerned about it than I am. I just think he's a good player that that we have to do very, very important things. And uh, I refer back to the couple of years with Bowmeister too. He seemed to have that uh, that slant to him in the public's eye, and I never really saw it because I know I know the job we're asking to do and and how difficult it is every night against top players. And so maybe I cut him a little more slack than other people. And that's where I, I'm at with Colton Pareko. Has he looked like a number one guy this year? At times, absolutely not. There have been times where he has been the shutdown defenseman that the Blues need him to be, but that's the biggest thing. Jay Bomeister went through that. When he was acquired, he was supposed to be the number one guy who played on the left side with Alex Petrangelo. And in every situation, it felt like his first few seasons here in St. Louis, he was always the guy who was on the ice when goals were scored. Pucks would bounce off of his skate and into the net. He'd have turnovers. He wouldn't be the guy that people viewed him as 
when the Blues acquired him in a trade from Calgary. Then, lo and behold, they find the right combination, and Jay Bomeister takes off, and he and Colton Pareko create the best shutdown pair in the NHL in that 2018-2019 season. And I think that's where Colton Pareko is right now. Colton Pareko has not been asked to be the number one defenseman for a full season ever. In the 2018-2019 season, he was the second pairing guy because Petrangelo was the one that ate the most minutes. After Petrangelo, it was Pareko and Bomeister. They were eating the second and third most minutes. 2019-2020 season. Stepped up, his game was playing more minutes, but Alex Petrangelo was still the number one guy. Then last season, where he was the number one guy, shortened season where he had his back issues. This is the first year where Colton Pareko has been the number one defenseman. And I think that's where it gets into Jay Bomeister conversation. He no longer is viewed as the guy with the booming slap shot that can be picking up points on a nightly basis. He now is viewed as the guy defensively, where if there's a if there's a mistake, yeah, it's going to be viewed and you're going to be pointing it out saying, what the heck are you doing there, Colton Pareko? But I think that's because that's the role he's been put in. I think he's still adjusting to that role. Yeah, I, I think he's still adjusting to that role, but I, I don't know if that's the best way to suit for Colton Pareko. Like, I... I I view Colton, you mentioned his slap shot. I view Colton Pareko more of a offensive-minded defenseman than I do a defensive-minded defenseman. And, it, and it's not because of the slap shot. It's because we've talked about it in the past. When, when Pareko's playing his best, what's he doing? He's getting up involved in the rush. He's using his skating ability to get out of the zone. He does have a long uh, reach with the stick, so he can be a solid defen- de- defensive-minded defenseman. I just view him more as an offensive guy. We've talked about it. We're, the Blues are looking for a guy that's going to stay home so Pareko can get more involved in the rush. But if he's going to take on the Bowmeister role, when I picture Bowmeister, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I picture Bowmeister as the guy that's staying home, not getting as involved in the rush, and not being an offensive-minded defenseman. I always viewed Jay Bowmeister as a guy that was going to be a shutdown defenseman, was paired with Alex Petrangelo because he could stay home. Petrangelo would get involved in the rush. I just view Colton Preco, I think, a little differently than the way that the Blues are kind of portraying him to us. And I I completely get where you're coming from because when they acquired the guy, you were acquiring somebody who was not going to be that number one offensive-minded defenseman. But at the time that the Blues acquired him back in the 2012-2013 season, the NHL really wasn't designed in that frame. It was more so of the big bodies, long sticks in front of their own zone. You didn't have the Kale McCars and the Adam Foxes that were dominating it. But let's not forget that Jay Bomeister with the Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers, I mean, he was still producing numbers like 30 to 45 points in a season. He was a third overall draft pick. But you're right. They brought Jay Bomeister in to be the secondary piece with Alex Petrangelo to allow Petrangelo to kind of grow into what you need. But I think the bigger picture with Colton Pareko is – you want Colton Pareko to be the number one guy who can play in both the offensive and defensive zone. But you need somebody who's reliable to play with him, like Pareko was with Jay Bomeister. And I think that's what the conversation is. It's not can Pareko become Bomeister, because those are two those are two separate pieces. But can Pareko take on the Jay Bomeister role in terms of the number one guy to shut down with somebody with him? That's where the conversation comes into play of then who is going to be the Pareko? Because you got Falk and Krug. Those two have created the offensive mindset for defensemen, and they've been very solid defensively. But if you have Pareko as one piece of that shutdown pair, who steps up into the Pareko role? I think Mikel is going to be that guy, but that's where the conversation comes back to, well, then you need to acquire somebody who can play with Pareko and be that 
be that reliable defenseman that can protect Pareko when he tries to jump up into the rush. Because I don't think they're trying to hold him back from jumping up into the offense. That's how the Blues play now. They move the puck north fast. But what you need is somebody reliable who, in case there's a turnover, you're not relying on Colton Pareko to be the one that jumps up into the rush and comes back. you got to have somebody who's there with him to allow him to play his game. Yeah, and I mean, that's been the biggest thing for the Blues all season is trying to find that guy that can do it. And I'm with you. I think Mikula is a top four defenseman in a year or two. I don't know if he's there yet because he's just, I think JR said this before when we've talked to him, is he's just green. He's just not, he's not even played a full 82 games yet. So I I look at Mikula as a guy that can be there in the future. I think they do have to find that guy that's going to pair with him. Is that a Chikrin? Is that going to be a uh, Mark Giordano? Depending on how you want to view it, I I've said all along that I like Jacob Chikrin. I like Ben Sherrod. Those are probably the two that I'm leaning on, the bigger fish on the market. But to me, I view them as kind of the offensive mind, especially Chikrin, offensive-minded defenseman. So will they mesh well with Colton Pareko? I don't know. That's a big question for the Blues to answer. That's something they're going to have to figure out in the next month or so when the trade deadline's coming up here and, March see, 10th. That's what, I think, that's what I think people should look at when, when Doug Armstrong puts him in the same conversation as Jay Bowmeister. Like, his role has changed. You know how we've talked about, you know, accepting a fourth-line role, accepting an identity role for Craig Berube? I think that's what Colton Pareko is going to be told when they get closer to the playoffs. It's like, we don't need you to be the guy who goes up and takes the slap shots from the blue line or man the power play. We have those guys. What we need from you is we need you to eliminate the other team's top lines. We need you to be the Ryan O'Reilly on the defensive line. That's where you get into the Jay Bomeister conversation, but he can't become that unless he gets somebody who can play with him. Because if it's just Colton Pareko out there, and look, Nico Mikola, I believe, can become next year's Colton Pareko of the guy that, that maybe the expectations weren't there of him being a top-pairing defenseman, but he exceeded those expectations. I think Mikola can get to that point. But you got to have somebody who can play that shutdown role to a T, and I think that's where they're going with Colton Pareko moving closer to the playoffs. See, and I don't even know if I view Colton Pareko as a shutdown defenseman, and I know I'm in like the odd here on saying that, but I know we talk about plus-minus. We just talked about it uh, about an hour or so ago with Jacob Chickren. You know, his advanced numbers are not very good. His plus-minus is terrible. He's on a bad team. So some of that ties into that. Some of that could be just he's having a down year. I look at Colton Pareko, and his his numbers are not good, and he's on a good team. And, and his minus 16, I get it, team stat, but his minus 16 stands out to me, and I get it. He also has not had a guy that we've talked about as saying he doesn't have that good pairing with him. I'm not going to put that all on Nico Mikola. I'm not going to put that all on just the pairing itself. I think part of that does tie into Colton Pareko, and I do wonder if he is a shutdown defenseman. I kind of side on the side of Brian Lawton, where Brian Lawton said, I don't view him as a number one. I don't view him as a number one defensive shutdown defenseman. Can he be a number one offensive-minded defenseman? Maybe. I view him as a guy that could play like Justin Falk kind of hockey, where he's more offensive-minded. He's good defensively when he has the right pairing with him. But again, I view him more as an offensive-minded defenseman rather than the Jay Bowmeister type where he's going to shut people down. And I just wonder if the Blues... I know the Blues think he's going to hold that role, but I wonder if they're kind of misassessing Colton Pareko as he is as a player as a whole. Yeah, and I think that's where the conversation steers in this direction because you're going to be looking at it as, okay, well, who's his pairing mate? Because that's the biggest thing. He's This is the first full season that he's been asked, I guess I should say first full season as a healthy defenseman to be asked to take on this role. Last year he wasn't healthy and it was a shortened season. He's also never had a consistent pairing mate other than Nico Mikola. So I guess that's where the judgment's really going to come into him if he can take on that Jay Bomeister role. But I do agree with Doug Armstrong in the sense of I think there's a lot more slack on Pareko now 
very similar to what Jay Bomeister went through because you're focusing in on him as being the shutdown guy, and that's a tough role to take on, especially when goals are going in against you. So that that's what's going to tie into the trade deadline when you get to the end of March here in the uh, NHL season for the Blues. And speaking of the trade deadline, our BK and Ferrario rewind, we'll get to that next where we talked about mortgaging the future for right now. We'll go back into that conversation as we wrap things up here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Friday, you can join myself and BK as we rise and shine to keep neighbors in Missouri and Illinois warm this winter. T-Bone might even come out because apparently you can get yourself a $1 egg or sausage biscuit at Hardee's. It's the 22nd annual Hardee's Rise and Shine for Heat Up St. Louis Benefit. As I mentioned, $1 sausage or egg biscuit for the special price. And you can even say hey to myself and BK at the Hardee's in Westport from 8 to 9 this Friday. So from 8 to 9 a.m. this Friday, come on out to Hardee's at Westport. 100% of the proceeds of all funds collected will help heat up St. Louis and support people in need in both Missouri and Illinois. If you want more information, head over to 101ESPN.com. As we hit our BK and Ferrario rewind with Tanner Hendricks and Alex Ferrario, we talked about the Blues potentially having nobody untouchable come trade deadline, like a Jake Neighbors, a Zachary Bolduke, Scott Perunovich, as they head into this trade deadline to kind of go all in. And T-Bone Curbs talked about it with Carriker and Smallman saying that, look, there have been big-time players trade in the past that turn out to be Hall of Famers. A Jerome Ginla for a Joe Newendike. You can't worry about what the potential is of these younger players. You more have to worry about what this team looks like and take advantage of the talent that you have right now. Maybe that's the case. And if Jacob Chikrin is the top dog, then you can move a Jake Neighbors, a Bull Duke, a Perunovich to make that trade pay off. But I also think you have to view it as, is Jacob Chikrin the right answer? And what I told you during a commercial break is, you can make a move for one of those guys, but what's the concern of trying to get those guys molded into your locker room and chemistry on the ice and enough time to be effective in the Stanley Cup final? Yeah, and I just view it as, and that's why we've talked about this in the past too, of the quicker you can get the deal done, the better. But of course, there's there's going to be the, Doug Armstrong mentioned this in an interview last week of the cap. The cap is the biggest issue. I think he said 16 teams. The Blues are like 10th or something like that, and amount of money spent, and yet they're like right up against the cap. So a lot of teams are there. It's going to take a lot of three-team deals. It's going to come down to, can you get that deal done? Curbs mentioned it today on the morning show of, hey, expect some some moves to happen before we get closer to the trade deadline because it's going to take a process of getting all these deals done with these three teams and moving money around. It, it comes down to, can you get the deal done quick enough so that guy can come into the locker room, get kind of molded in with his new teammates, but also I just view it as, hey, this is the deepest this Blues team's probably going to be at the at the forward position. Why not go all in when you're just missing one piece? It's not like we're talking about they got a goaltending issue, they've got a defensive issue, they need another forward. No, they just need one piece, a top four defenseman. The defensive market on the trade market is deep. Why not go all in and get the biggest fish out there and go on a cup run with him? He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. You've missed anything from the show today. You could check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Big thank you to Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers for their sponsorship. Fast Lane coming up from 2 to 6 next. We'll be back with you tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN.
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.